Welcome to Married AF. We are your hosts, Brooke and Randall Fowler. On this show, we discuss the topics that really matter. Like big veiny cocks and our favorite TV shows. So pull up a chair at our kitchen table and hang out. While I bulldog my nuts. (laughs) All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Married AF. This one is going to be a doozy. We've been trying to have this one for a long time. I can't wait to get into this conversation. We've talked about him before. When we had Shane Brazelton on, as y'all know him as Bearded Dad, his podcast, we got Josh Hall, my buddy, in the house. What's up, Josh? Hey, brother. It's good to be here, man. I'm glad we finally get a chance to kind of talk about all this stuff. Oh, I'm super stoked about it. <clears throat> you know, you've been name-dropped on a few episodes with, uh, with our mutual uh, buddy and brother, Shane Brazelton. Yeah. Old, uh, yeah. old bearded dad podcast himself, and I just got done messaging with him. Come back. Okay. Come back. <laughs> yeah. Come back. I think he's got another fight in him. He's getting spunky again. He would, lost the weight. I would love it if he dedicated to himself to something like that. It, I mean, something like that would bring out the best in old comeback. I know. Oh, I, I think he's, he, you know, comeback's one of those you could never count him out all the way you could say whatever you want that guy i would not want to run into him in a dark alley i don't care what condition he's in he's just one you're gonna have a hell of a time it doesn't matter you're talking about a master of of drunken brawling i mean <laughs> that's the last person you want to run into in an alleyway yeah nobody wants that yeah but he's actually uh, i'm i told him that uh he told me to tell you that he loves you and hello and then I told him that uh, I'd shout him out. His, uh, we recently just signed him over to our actual podcast network because um, his show, his show is doing really good, man. I think it's really good for him to get on there and get to just kind of be silly and cut loose. It's good for him mentally yeah. to be able to create and shit. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think we're both proud of the guy. I'll always be pulling for old I'm Shane. I'm happy to hear that for, for comeback. Um, you know, Shane and I, we used to be really close and, uh, you know, just distance and life choices kind of separated us. I mean, we've, we've recently kind of come back. I'll talk about it later, I guess, and touch together and we're closer. I still love the dude and I know he loves me too. It's just, it's, it's, it's a long story, man. I mean, it's really part of what's happened to me with everybody in a lot of ways. Yeah. But yeah, I'm glad to hear that he's doing well. And, you know, I, I saw his working out and things like that. So that can only be a good thing, you know? Yeah, so to all the listeners, I've got to give credit where credit's due. Richard Tillman coined this, and Richard's a a listener and is looking forward to this episode, so I can never steal his thunder. But we were talking the other day about uh, Josh, and uh, we were kind of going through uh, everything Josh has done in his life, because it's really incredible. And Josh wouldn't say that, so I'm going to say it, because I know that you wouldn't do that. Um, But it's remarkable. And Richard was like, dude, that guy needs you know, Dos Equis needs to sign him as the new most interesting man in the world. And I was like, yes, that's absolutely right. Well, and you know, man, the thing is, uh, well, I appreciate it. That's probably, I mean, one of the nicest things someone could say to me. I, that's, 
that's really such a compliment coming from a guy like you. So thank you, brother. And especially, you know, <clears throat> someone that I hold in esteem, like <clears throat> Richard's family. Uh, I know what they've been through. Or I have an idea. Sure. And so Absolutely. to hear that is, that's really such a, such an honor, you know? Yeah. I, dude, I'm telling you, I love that guy. He's, he's a champion and you guys would hit it off. I mean, I can just already tell you just cause from what I know of you, you guys would be peas in a pod, but. So what I was wanting to do here, and let you, I'm going to let you kind of correct me if I'm wrong about anything. I want to hit some highlights of the most interesting man in the world. And these are just from my memory that I remember. Okay. And just so we don't go back too far, I want to start in high school. because That's where I met you, knew of you. Uh, you went to Grissom. I went to Butler, both in Huntsville, mm-hmm. Alabama. <clears throat> I knew of you as the mean-ass wrestler at Grissom that killed everybody. That's how I learned of you. I remember that because I was a football player. Yeah. And then you played uh, football, and we played you guys. And your group then, it was like, I think it was you, Brazelton, yeah. uh, Jay Morris, Chris Carpenter may have still been on the team. And y'all were just the dirtiest, meanest white kids. <laughs> On planet Earth, and yeah. I hated playing y'all. Man, well, number one, I think you were one of the few teams we beat that year. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, you... uh, that was my senior year. I didn't play. I played my freshman year, and I, I was just kind of passive about it until uh, my senior year. But, but yeah, I mean, we, we went out there like it was a rugby match or something. We were trying to just demoralize whoever we could. We went up again, heard them if we could. I mean, we were dirty. I, looking back, it was an ugly way to play, but I mean, we were fighting, clawing every inch good, you know. Oh yeah, it was the game back then, though. I don't consider it. Was, it man. I'm kind of. I don't want people to get it wrong when I say dirty. I mean that lovingly, because that's the game <laughs> that I grew up loving. Yeah. I don't yeah. like the more less aggressive way that the game is played now. And I just think. so everybody knows, I was the quarterback of Butler, <clears throat> and. My first. And, and you know what? While we're bragging on everybody, I want to interrupt. I remember you. I, when we first talked and reconnected. I remembered you because you were big and strong on top of being in the backfield. And up to that point, as a senior linebacker or whatever, I hadn't really encountered too many quarterbacks that take a hit. And I remember hitting you and like feeling that solid kind of feeling. You know, when you run into somebody. Oh yeah. In the backfield or whatever, and I was like. All right, I'm going to make sure I hurt this guy the next play. Oh, yeah, and y'all did. I got – I remember you specifically, and it's funny because I can still see it. I remember being on the bottom of a pile, and you were punching me like a, like a real fight, like body shots, like trying to really get into my ribs. And I was like, you know what? I respect the shit out of this. This is so mean. <laughs> And then Shane's got a finger up my ass, a thumb up my ass, number 74, just cramming whatever he can up my ass. And I was like, this is the most awesome, worst thing I've ever been a part of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it was... It rained that time, too. We were out in the mud also. That was brutal. I loved that, man. Yeah, it was good times. But you were also a two-time state champion wrestler. Yeah. Yeah, that was your. I mean, that was your big focus, right? High school was wrestling. Yeah. I loved wrestling. Uh, that was. I mean, I understand why now, but but yeah, I loved that. 
airport. It was just, to me, it was just amazing. I, you know, I, I was obsessed with it. But go on. Yeah, sorry. Well, no, I mean, I've got a question about that. And a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of listeners that are MMA fans, and uh, we talk about it all the time, back and forth with them. And what makes you like wrestling? Because a wrestler's mentality is different. I've always said and yeah. that the wrestlers that I've known are the most like mentally tough as far as they can take more shit than people yeah. that don't wrestle by far. I, I think as far as just sheer toughness, not, not anything to do with skill. Like sure. for example, I feel like has just, it's got endless different variations of, you know, and combinations of positions you get in, but wrestling is just, you've got to be tough. There's just no other way about it. it. It's hard to turn someone on their back. And it's hard to fight off the back. You know, that kind of uncomfortable pressure is rarely found in any other sport. But what I liked about it was I was good at it, <laughs> you know. But I wasn't good at it at first. I got, I got, I mean, it's one of these sports that you're going to suck at for at least two years before you ever start really kind of getting the hang of it, unless you're just physically so much more mature than, than other guys. Sure. Are when you grow yeah. up or whatever. But, um, you know, it, it was that kind of sport for me where I realized, wait a minute, the harder I work at this, the better I am, you know? Amazing, so, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> it? It was just like, it was that simple. And I, and I found, you know, I was obsessed with uh, Iowa Hawkeye wrestling. Yeah. So I, I would watch this Dan Gable documentary damn near every day, you know. And anyway, it was just, to me, it was beautiful because you had these two dudes out there. I mean, basically going fighting naked is what it really boils yeah. down to. It's very scary. It's a scary situation, especially when you're a kid. You go out there and this mat seems so big, smell weird. Everyone's watching you. And that kid's trying to kick your ass. And it's like, Wait a minute! How did get over here? <laughs> you know, but but that's what I learned to love about it because I eventually really enjoyed testing myself against yeah. other people to see where I was at, where did I stand in the world? You know, that's mm -hmm. what it made me feel alive. Well, it wasn't uh, I remember Grissom being notorious that the wrestling program there, the coach I don't remember his name was a hard ass sure. motherfucker, like. He just retired, man. I heard he just legends. retired after something like 40 years. Is this real? We've never talked about this, but I heard this. Mm. And it was when Scott Jennings transferred from Butler and went to Grissom because it's a better wrestling school. Yeah. And he won state championship there. But yeah. that, that coach would do the real deal, crank the heat up, make, you know, guys would be cutting weight. He'd follow y'all's asses in cars running, like all the shit you see on movies, but you don't oh, think yeah. is real, that that oh, was all real. That happened. That happened. We were in plastic suits. We did, I mean, I can't believe the stuff we did as high school kids, man. I cannot believe it. It's just, I mean, really, looking back, that was some of the hardest training <laughs> I ever did, and it was in high school. I mean, we were crazy. It was awesome. <laughs> we loved it. We were like a family. I mean, it was... You know, I don't, by the time that I was wrestling there, we were just tight, we had each other's backs. It, it really was like my family. And, and the, the truth is, I did, my family life at home wasn't much of a family at all. We were more like family or something. Yeah. So that, he was like a father. 
that was what man really sure yeah that's how football was for me i totally get that i think most people could get that or athletes or have been in any clubs or teams how that can uh can definitely yeah. step in at times to fill any voids that you might have in family life but <clears throat> speaking of that i want to hit on i remember this incident very clearly um and shane has talked about it so we don't have to go into it in the right. biggest details but it was y'all's prom night yeah and you and shane got uh involved in a basically a, a fight from you know some shit talking in cars with some guys and um they end up pulling out box cutters and cutting y'all up like of course like some little bitches <laughs> but everything i heard is they took the worst end of the ass whipping um well yeah i mean i don't know you know this is stuff that stuck with me the rest of my life and i think it changed shane and me i mean oh, of I course the same guy the next day you know but it is you know when you're talking about stuff that I did I mean so that was that was one of those life defining moments right I for everyone that doesn't know I'll just go ahead and kind of run down what sure. happened yeah um we Shane and I found ourselves on the side of the road surrounded by about five dudes with knives and you know we were fighting these guys off and every time I mean it was just crazy every time I would turn to hit one one was behind me stabbing me or trying to cut me and I was you know, trying to, it was, it wasn't like I could wrestle my way out of the situation. Sure. You know, if I was going to wrestle someone, I was going to wind up dead because I'd be on the ground with three other dudes stabbing me. So I was in a sense out of my, my element because I was standing on my feet fighting people. But, but yeah, we went to the hospital, we got our stitches, those dudes, three of them, I think were arrested in the hospital and we went to go get our, to our senior prom. Um, yeah, and your ear was damn near cut off. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I, I can, you know, I remember real clearly because Shane was. I thought he was dead. He was on the ground, and I was standing over his body. And uh, one of the guys swiped at my face, and I just instinctively kind of dodged it, but it hit my ear, and um, it it hurt worse than any of the other cuts. For some reason, I, I mean, I must have looked alarmed because I grabbed my ear and he was like yeah motherfucker or something like that oh, and shit. i remember just thinking holy shit i don't know how much longer i can fight because i'm exhausted you yeah know? oh yeah it was it's not it, it, when you you know like imagine your hardest workout that you've ever been in where you want to throw up and then you're fighting for your life it, it was, oh i can't imagine yeah <laughs> it was crazy but it changed me man well, um, um, but it, what it did do the next day I was after prom, I was at, you know, Desero, my wrestling coach's house. My parents were in, uh, Louisiana for jazz festival. They didn't even know what had happened yet. Couldn't reach him. And, uh, Desero said, Josh, you got the world by the balls. You need to write a list of things to do before you die. And, um, people call it a bucket list. Now that name sort of annoys me because it makes it sound generic, you know? I don't know many people that actually had a physical list. I carried that thing around in my pocket for 15 years, man. I was, it guided my life. Oh, well, hey, you know, I don't I, want to interrupt you, yeah. but this is too good not to do. I've got to go ahead and ask the first listener question because it's about this list. It's from Tanya. Okay. Okay. Tanya sent in, hi, Josh. You had a list of things you kept in a secret place, your wallet or something, of the things you wanted to accomplish. 
Have you accomplished many of those things? Have you been able to fill that void where feeding the things, uh, where feeding with the things you spoke of, addictions and such? What would you say to someone struggling with the same issues you speak of and you have battled with? Right. Well, yeah. Okay. So the answer is no. None of those things ever will fill the void in your life. I can tell you. I mean, I, I had everything. I wrote that list. <clears throat> Gosh, that almost made me get teary eyed just hearing it. <laughs> I wrote that list from the perspective of I want to be a Renaissance man and I want to do this stuff so that one day if I ever have a grandson and he says, granddaddy, tell me a story, I'm going to have the best stories and none of it's going to be bullshit. It's going to be real, you know? Oh, for sure. And so that's what I wrote this stuff down. And yeah, I did do a lot of those things. I did do a lot of them. I mean, I'm proud of the things that I've done in a sense that it, it really enriched my life, but, but no. You see, I was driven. I was driven my whole life, man. Oh, yeah. When you do that, uh, I mean, I'm just sorry. It's, it's making me choked up. Dude, don't worry about driven, it a bit. When you're driven like that, you can't appreciate anything because you're always thinking about the next point of destination. If I get there, finally, mm. I'll get whatever it is that I think is going to make me happy, right? That's sure. what everybody kind of does. But when you're constantly thinking about that point, you can't appreciate anything in your present life. No, you miss not the your beauty. Friends, yeah, not you your miss job. It. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, you miss the beauty of each moment when you're looking toward the each, next one. That's exactly right. And that, so to answer your question, none of those things brought me the happiness that I was hoping for. But it did lead me to a lot of other things that eventually got me to where I was going which I think I might have had to do anyways. It was the only way to do it was to suffer a shit. Sure. We can talk about it later, but, but let's get through this list of stuff yeah. you want to talk about and the, or the, the things you were saying so that we can get, you know, yeah. get rolling because you're getting me pumped up now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, all right, so we'll move on. Then you join the military. You become an Army Ranger 2nd Battalion, right? Yeah. yeah. All right, so while you're in the Army, you're wrestling for the Army and uh, training to be an Olympian. All this out, right out of high school. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Don't most guys that do that go wrestle in college first and, you know? Yeah, so then, well, for, for that, what you're talking about is, really, I got duped by my, my recruiter. He said, you're going to go wrestle. You could wrestle for the Ranger wrestling team. And I kind of knew he was lying to me, but I wanted to be an Army Ranger. See, that was on my list. Mm. And so... I kind of convinced myself and I told everybody I'm going to wrestle for the army. That's what I'm going to do. But first I'm going to be an army ranger. And I can't believe I did that because looking back, that's crazy talk. I mean, that's crazy talk because yeah, the army has a a world-class athlete program. That's what it's called. And they recruit directly from, you know, the U S national teams of various sports. And they offer this program to these guys where all they have to do is train, represent the United States, and they're basically paid athletes, Holy basically shit. because they're getting the the pay from uh, their army or their military salary. Mm-hmm. Air Force has one, the Navy has one, the Corps has one, Marine Corps, and so uh, yeah, I wound up coming back from a mission in Panama, um, went in the post tournament. I thought wrestling was over for me at this point, kind of. Uh, 
But sure. I won the tournament, and they said, hey, you get to try out for the wrestling team. And I thought, oh, awesome, I'm going to win this thing. No, I show, I've never been beaten up so bad in my life for six <laughs> months, man. For six months, I was, I've never been beat. These dudes were animals, and they were wrestling Greco, something I'd never done before, or freestyle, same thing. And uh, these guys were all Americans. They were, some, the coach was a former Olympian. Um, our, our other coach was a, I mean, from the Soviet Union, he was a silver medal, civil, silver medalist, uh, in the Olympics and won a world championship. I don't know a few times. I mean, these guys Jeez. were for real, but somehow I made the team. But anyways, go on. Sorry. No, that's fucking incredible shit. I mean, to go there, to know you, you know, a guy that was yeah. two-time state champ wrestler, thought it might be over, wasn't sure, probably knew somewhere you'd, you'd see it again somehow. But next thing I you know, it, you're trying yeah. out for the team for the damn Army Ranger wrestling team. And yeah. you're getting your ass kicked. What does, that, does that change anything for you? Like, was that new to you? Like, how did you handle losing it again? Because you hadn't really we, lost much. Right. Yeah, I was, I hadn't, I mean, I lost one match um, after my sophomore year. But, um, yeah, so when I got in this environment, I mean, I was wrestling men. It wasn't like high school kids sure. anymore. Yeah. You know, a guy my size and, and age, maybe a year older or something. These dudes were 27, 30. Jeez. I mean, they were men, you know. And uh, to be manhandled in wrestling was <laughs> was definitely not something I was used to, but um, but I don't I don't know. I mean, Derek Waldrop was the coach. He was an Olympian. The guy's an amazing individual. I mean, what a story! But uh, he recruited me, and I somehow was able to get permission from uh, the range battalion to to be let go to do this. They weren't going to do it. My first sergeant didn't want to do it. My, uh, the company commander was an athlete at uh, West Point, and he said, Hall's going. So that was into that. That was a miracle, really, in itself. But yeah, that's how I wound up making the team. And, and then uh, I wound up placing fourth in the Olympic trials later on, two years later. It was crazy. And that was after, after having my knee destroyed. That, that was horrible. <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. Your, is your knee uh, 100% now? I know you've, you've had a lot of problems with that knee, right? Over yeah, the years. no, I've I've had multiple surgeries on it. I mean, sometimes I feel like it's being held together by skin in some <laughs> sense. But but that's the thing. This this new well, what we're going to talk about later. I feel like my body's healing. I feel like my whole body is healing. Oh, that's all great. the injuries. You know. Oh, that's you. I can't wait to talk about that because me and you are both yeah. pretty beat to shit with injuries. So I'm I'm looking yeah. forward to hearing about that. All right, so yeah. you go on. You become a, this is where we pick up where I kind of really got to know you. You became an MMA fighter, I guess, mm -hmm. when you got out of the military. I remember you fighting locally. Um, I trained at Team Sturgis, and you came back, and Scott Jennings, who's a buddy of ours, and Extreme Combat International, he was promoting, mm -hmm. he had a promotion there. And I remember you coming back, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I remember hearing Josh Hall is killing everybody. And this was after I hadn't really heard anything except for yeah. from Shane that you had went into the army and were uh, wrestling for the army. And I remember seeing you at one of the extreme combats and you just murdered this guy, just threw him on his head. It was uh, a black <laughs> guy. I, I, I mean, that yeah. has nothing to do with anything, but that's all I remember is he was black right. and you were a white guy. And it looked like uh, he was pretty fired up and he came after you into your corner when the, when the bell rang, I think, 
through a couple of ridiculous flurries, you picked him up and threw him on his head. And it was the scariest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. And I remember just being like, everybody was like, Josh Hall's the guy from Huntsville. He's our guy. Yeah. That's going to, you know, go regional, which, you know, you did. You went and fought some bigger shows. Then you made it onto the Ultimate Fighter season seven. Right. And I remember seeing you fight Matt Brown. And that was a doozy of a fight. You were whooping his ass, in my opinion. And <laughs> you, you gassed, I think. But didn't you gas? That was the only well, reason. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Um, really, with, I mean, really, you could, you could characterize my whole career this way. <laughs> uh, so I was fighting uh, at team, uh, team Quest in Temecula with Henderson and Sokaju and guys like... Uh, you know, I mean, everybody would come in through there eventually, it seemed like. But um, anyway, so I, I was on a streak. I improved my record. See, when I first started this thing, I, I took a, a fight in Hawaii just because I wanted to go to Hawaii. And the guy, it was Rings Rising Stars, right? And he says, yeah, it was right after the Olympic trials. I'd placed fourth. I was feeling strong, you know. Sure. And he said, you know, it's the same, same rules as the UFC. And, you know, it's guys with your level of experience. You're going to kill it. I said. Sign me up. I want to go to Hawaii. So <laughs> that sounds just like in, you too. Yeah, I show up in Waikiki and, and fight in the Blazeville Arena. But at weigh-ins, they're like, "Okay, here's the rules. There's no, there's no uh, striking to the face on the ground, and there's only punching to the body." And uh, you know, I didn't know what a submission really even was at this point. I mean, I kind of had some ideas of things not to get involved with, but sure. you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I look at over at this guy, and I'm like what the hell am I supposed to do? He goes, knock him out. <laughs> so, I mean, my first fight, it's against this. I mean, if you saw him, it, you wouldn't think much of him, but the dude was just pretty sturdy, but his name's Connie Hara. And I'm trying to just knock this dude out. And I, he had 50 something fights, man. I mean, that was his, that was my first fight. And so he knew how to throw some punches. I mean, Grant, he had a sorry looking body, but he knew how to throw some punches and he, rung my bell more than once, but it was a brawl and I lost a split decision and it really upset me because, you know, I, I felt like I'd been ambushed. Right. Sure. No, so that I was, too. I, I started out with this whole thing with Oh, and one and, uh, two weeks later, <laughs> same kind of thing. The guy calls me back up. He's like, Hey man, they really loved you. They were so impressed. They want you back and they want you back in the tournament. And I said, there's no way, man. He lied to me. I had no idea what I was getting into. I don't want to do this again. I need. To, I'm, I haven't trained in two weeks, actually. I, he says, "Aren't you a champion?" <sighs> oh shit! That's how you can manipulate my sure, ass right yep. then. Because, I, that's you know, perfect. Yeah, I said, "Yeah, I'm a champion." Well, do you want to fight? I said, "Yeah." <laughs> so, my that was my second fight, and it was against Jeremy Horn. And he, oh, and Jeremy we Horn, had a pretty he's decent fought. fight. And, he he's had fought. like 80 fights or something yeah, at this point, everybody. and that was my second one, <laughs> you know? So anyways, the guy beat me in a, in a, like a knee bar or whatever. And, and I didn't even know what that was. Of and course. so I didn't fight, man. After that, I was, I was annoyed. I, I felt like I'd been ripped off and I was Oh, and two, which did not reflect the fighter I was, you know? And so, um, with that, I didn't fight. I stopped training. And you're talking about me getting back into fighting. The reason I got back into fighting is because my best friend in the whole world, he was a professional boxer. His name's Preston Hartzog. This guy, I mean, 
and this is something that the men will know I'm talking about. Like, as a man in this country, it's hard to ever really just feel relaxed because you always sort of have to be on the lookout for danger, right? Sure. You're always kind of aware of what's going on. Yep. Well, most of my friends always said, Josh, I love having you around because, you know, I feel safe. Well, that was the one guy I got to feel safe around, Preston. Yeah. He's the type of guy that, I mean, if someone was fucking with you, he would be up in their face before you could do anything, and they would be backing down. That'd be the end of it. This dude was 6'5", 280 pounds. I mean, he was a giant, and he was the one guy I ever felt safe around because I didn't have to worry. And when he died, I said, what am I doing? I was dicking around in Los Angeles at the time trying to be an actor, you know, and really that means just trying to enjoy myself after kind of having given up on fighting and stuff like that. But I started taking it seriously, man. And that's where you kind of saw me. I, I, it, it was kind of like I had that experience all over again when I, Shane and I were cut and had that near-death experience. And this time it was like, okay, hey, I need to re- rethink what I'm doing with my life. And it, and it refocused in a lot of ways. Yeah, and there's a, there's a picture of uh, – oh, sorry to interrupt you, brother. Go ahead. Well, no, it's, it's all good. I was just going to say, so fast forward and there I am. I've been told I'm leaving for the ultimate fighter. Be prepared to be gone for six weeks, you know? So I, I do. I, I believe that's what's happened. I'm going to be on the show for six weeks. Well, before I left, I left, like three weeks before I left, something like that, I injured my back. I, I'm not making excuses. Brown beat. But I showed up. I hadn't trained in three weeks. And they said, oh, and that's the other thing. They said, make sure you weigh 190. We want to make sure you can make weight. Well, I was around 207, 212 at any given time, and making 190 was kind of a big deal, so I show up making 190, and okay, great, you know, thanks, Josh, go to your room. I'm thinking I've got a tough practice in the morning, so I'm back up to, I don't know, 205, 207 (laughs) the next day, and they said, this is when they dropped the surprise reality twist. You've got a fight to stay in the house this year. This pissed me off so much because I'd struggle with whether I should go or not just because I was injured. I didn't want to misrepresent myself, but I also didn't want to pass up the opportunity, you know? Yeah. But I also knew in that moment, you cannot give one second of energy to thinking about the stuff. You need to refocus because you're going to battle and you don't know who it's going to be against. You know nothing about them. Get it out of your mind. And that's what I did, man. And so I made weight again and that evening, I was coughing up green phlegm. And you know what, Randall? I said, I don't give a shit. I know I've only got five minutes in the tank anyways if I'm going to make this thing happen because I hadn't been training in a few weeks. I mean, that's, a, that's an eternity in fighting. To not, I mean, when a camp is minimum six weeks and you haven't been training for three weeks, forget it. Yeah. But, but I thought, you know what? And I said this. I remember there was a couple of the guys. I can't remember their names. I think Sadala was right there. And I said, there's no fucking way I'm losing, losing to this guy. And I meant it. And I believed it. Did you know I, of I Matt like, Brown, though? Did you know of him? Did, did, didn't know a thing about him. Okay. One of the other guys in, on the show said, oh, you fight my teammate. I said, oh, yeah? He goes, just so you know, he doesn't stop. I said, that's cool. And that's all, <laughs> that's all I knew about him. That's all I knew about the guy, you know? And, I mean, to look at him, I didn't really think that much. But 
I already knew he had an advantage because he was a little smaller. He didn't have to make the kind of weight I did twice in a row, you know? Yeah. I was sucked out at that point. I mean, where's it going to come from anyways? I'm already pretty lean, you know? Yeah. But anyway, so the fight with Matt. You know what? Matt beat me. That motherfucker, I could not overwhelm him. I knew I, I had to try to do that, you know, but. Yeah, because you I were mean, notoriously yeah, I mean, I able had, had to do that. We had a triangle choke for something like 40 seconds, man. I was just trying. I got out of that. I could barely move my arms. It was over. Yeah, how you close know? were I, you I, to going out in that? I've always wanted to ask you that. Were, well, you, were you ever close to going out or tapping in that triangle? Yeah, I was actually at that point where, you know, when you're, you're about to go. Yeah. And you say, oh, yeah, I've been there. Well, there's no heart. There's no shame in letting go right here because I'm get out of this anyways yeah and i heard forrest go fight back or something like that and i was like you know what <laughs> i don't think i'm ready to quit yet and so i got out of it somehow but um by the time i got out i was i mean there was nothing left for me to do except for just you know try to raise my arms and i, I remember trying to hit him with a hammer fist on bottom and I, it was just like there's nothing there but uh but you know what Dana White came up to me, and so did Forrest, and so did Rampage. But Dana actually hugged me. Goes, that was fucking awesome. And yeah. I remember saying, "Yeah, thanks." You know, because my dreams had just been crushed. <laughs> and he goes, "No, man, that was fucking awesome." And I remember thinking, "You know what? This guy doesn't have to lie to anybody." Sure. And it made me feel better. Yeah, it made me feel better, but it really crushed me. I mean, I my back was hurt. I mean, worse than it was before we're going on there. I didn't, I didn't fight again. And I shouldn't have fought when I fought, but I didn't fight again for a while. And, you know, it, and there it was again, you know, another loss didn't reflect the fighter I really am. I, and I, that, it was just so frustrating. And, well, oh, yeah, you know, the, you know, Scotty's thing, uh, Extreme Combat International. Yeah. Well, they sure dog stripped me of those wins. So now it's really ugly because that's a whole other story. Yeah. I that, went back yeah, years later for a, uh, for a tryout and, um, I tapped out this guy in the tryout, like Jay Silva was sitting there looking. They remembered me. That what have you been doing? I'm like, I've been traveling the world. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. Well, I think you're. I don't want. I want listeners to if they have a chance if they have fight pass or anything or to Google that fight with Matt Brown because Josh is being modest. He was whooping that ass. We watched that yeah, one time, watched, and I was I've like, shown it to you a couple I was like, times. holy shit, he's winning. And Randall was like, wait for it. Yeah, he was whooping <laughs> Brown's just a tough kid. He I is. Mean, he's a bad yeah. motherfucker. If I had made it to the second round, I don't, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked out yeah. for me. That guy was just, he was ready to keep coming. He told me he was ready to quit. Or Actually, I think he said he was close to feeling that way. But anyways, you know, that guy's still fighting the UFC. No mm-hmm. shit. I don't care what anyone says. That's one of the toughest dudes in the UFC to still be fighting oh, 12, yeah. whatever years later. I mean, they cut you after two losses in a row. That guy's still fighting. That dude's tough. Oh, <laughs> hands down. He's one of my favorite fighters. He actually ended up just, I just like his grittiness. And the fact that you guys yeah. collided like you did, um, I love it. I mean, I think it speaks I know you as a guy that probably sits as a sour spot or used to for you. It shouldn't. That's it a did. huge accomplishment that you went. It, it, it used to really hurt, Randall, but, you know, where I'm at now, man, it, it all led me to where I'm at now. And when we start talking about that, you'll see that, and I'll tell you right now, every scar and every disappointment and every heartbreak was worth it. Well, yeah, well, let's, we're, we're close now to getting there. So basically, 
and we'll kind of fast forward it. You know, you start uh, you start traveling the world. I remember following your shit. I mean, you traveled fucking everywhere, Colombia. I mean, you can name the places, but you went everywhere, and you went by yourself. And I always felt yeah. like, and you you didn't ever told me this, but this is just how I felt uh, from being your friend. I could tell from the outside that you were seeking something, but you never told yeah. said anything like I'm out seeking answers or. You know, you would just be like, I'm traveling, I'm going here, Randall. I'm going to Columbia. You know, hit right. me up on this on WhatsApp if you need me. But yeah. I could feel it. I was like, he's, there's, he's searching for something. I hope he finds it. <clears throat> and you went everywhere all yeah. by yourself. I mean, that's, that takes huge balls. Was that ever scary to you? Or did you just love that whole being by yourself and being anywhere? Well, you know... I was searching for something and I didn't know what it was, you know. Um, it, there were scary times. I was in some hairy situations one time in Egypt and then uh, more than once in a few other places where you just wind up in some sort of kind of uh, shady situation, you know. But um, I, I'll say that I was trying to search what I was searching for is the best way to put it. I didn't know what I was looking for, but I knew something was, I had to, I was miserable, man. I mean, that's the truth. Um, and I'll tell you now, I, I've been miserable for most of my life. I've had more fun than Dan Bilzerian. I mean, I've dated beautiful women of every persuasion from all over the world, actresses in Indonesia, singers in Vietnam. I mean, models in Colombia beautiful women you know if if you asked what every guy's dream was i was probably getting pretty close to it you oh know, for I say damn that, sure not in a braggadocious way no because the truth is the reason why and i believe this is true of most people fun is outside of itself and you kind of go after fun like that or just adventure or whatever else when you're so unhappy when you're not happy and i was hoping that if i had enough fun it could somehow jump start happy mm -hmm. you know i've been to over 30 countries man i've lived in some of these places for extended periods of I've, I've got friends people that i really care about all over the world i know some of the coolest places to take people if they ever want to go you know? <laughs> but i was miserable i was very unhappy when i used to lie awake at night and look at the ceiling for I'd just be like, God, my life wasn't supposed to come out this way. You know? Yeah. So you could be literally in, let's say you're in Bogota with right. a beautiful woman that's out of this world, American, good looking guy sitting there. She could be laying with you asleep and you're miserable. People are going to say, how in the fuck can you be miserable? But you really yeah. were. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this I can tell. This is what I think. Hmm. Let me see how I sort of put this. I think most people can relate to this, okay? And I think this is. I think I was an extreme example of this type of situation mentally, but I think most people can relate to it, okay? And I guess now's a good time as any to get into it. Yeah, because we're after this. You're back in America, and you still haven't found the yeah. answer. So let's dive in. Yeah. What changed? Yeah, I, I find, okay. So I've had horrible stuff happen to me, Randall. I mean, 
you're, you're leaving out some of the things that's happened to me. I mean, I was falsely accused of sexual assault. I had to go to trial my life. I mean, oh, I remember that, that. That was horrible, man. You know, um, I had uh, more than one knife pulled on me after Shane's thing. I'd been in a lot of ugly street fights. I'd, I'd hurt people's feelings. I'd, you know, it, it wasn't all great. There was a lot of ugliness to it all because I was unhappy. And, uh, but anyway, so here's what I can tell people. And before we get into this, okay, I've just got some requests. All right. Sure. Number one, if, if someone listening to this is hearing, you're going to really hear me. I just want you to be open to the idea that what I'm saying is for real. The other thing is before this can go forward with anybody, if they if they really want to learn from what I've got to say, or they think that this is something that might work for them you have to let all the little pretty lies die and i'm talking about the ones that we all tell ourselves day to day about our past or current encounters with people and i'll tell you what i mean okay i was talking to this girl and uh she was saying you know about one of her roommates she's got a a, a bad relationship with her and kind of run down this thing and i said have a nice day walked out she didn't even say hey back to me or say the same thing back well the pretty lie forgot to leave out she cone she said have a nice day it's obviously sarcastic it's you know not at all uh helpful towards building a relationship with another person and so she's sitting there telling me this stuff and if you can't get past things like that you're not going to get past anything i mean so being honest with yourself, not with me, with yourself as you listen to the things we talk about, that's, that's what you have to do. And just believe a little bit, all right? Because this is going to be like training with weights. If you just believe a little bit, it gets stronger. And the stronger you get, the more you're going to believe in yourself. And the more that happens, it's like a snowball effect. And then magic starts happening. Right? I almost mean that actual word. Yeah, no, I mean, every bit of this, I can tell people, I want to give people the the honest feedback of how this has went with me and you. Um, okay. You know, we talk. Well, here, do you want me to just get into it? I mean, I can. Well, yeah, I just was going to tell them, you know, we hadn't, I hadn't spoken to you in, I don't know, maybe four or five months. And then one night out of the blue, I was shopping at Kroger and you called me and I was sitting in the parking lot. And you told me all this. And I was like, yeah. holy shit. Like, you know, we hadn't talked in like five months. Yeah. And it blew my ass away. So go ahead. Go forward. I just want to let them know that. Okay. Well, I can tell you, this is how this all went down, how this finally all occurred to me, okay? I had been at this point, I'd moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And for me, this was kind of the last stop, you know? I've lived in a bunch of different cities around the country and around the world. and I was, this is kind of like the last kind of place I'm sort of going to try to make this thing work for myself because if I can't figure it out, I just don't think I want to keep going anymore. That's really where I was at. And, uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that the, sim the symbolism in the, in the city called Phoenix, but I really wasn't thinking about it at the time. You know? but, yeah, that is, anyway, uh, that is crazy. I've got a Phoenix yeah. on my arm, by the way. That is crazy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so 
you know, my birthday was approaching. I was about to turn 40. And I've never, I mean, you might look at my Instagram and think this guy's a narcissist or whatever, but I'm really not. And the idea of throwing myself a birthday party is, that's really self-indulgent, you know. But I realized I would like to have people that I have some kind of history with sure. this year to be around. You know, I'd like yeah. some real friends. Because for years, I, if I, I'd be in some country overseas, and I'd be around people that, yeah, Josh, hey, what's up, man? Yeah, you're cool. But they don't know me, you know? Yeah. There's, some, there's someone that I've got a vacation relationship with. They, sure. I don't have a history with these people. It's not like Brazelton where I know the guy's got my back no matter fucking what. Absolutely. You know? it, like that kind of thing, right? So I start reaching out to different friends, and the first one was this guy, David Rodriguez. And I haven't seen this dude in like eight or nine years. We'd had a falling out. And this guy was real good friends with my friend Preston before Preston died. And he's, he was a heavyweight boxing champion. Not a fighter, a champion. This dude was 36-0 at one point. And the guy, I mean, we were a lot alike, you know. Mm-hmm. So I call him up and I said, hey, man, it's my birthday. I was thinking, he's like, I'll fucking be there. And that was all he said. That's awesome. I was like. Okay, you know, cool. And that emboldened me to, to ask some other friends. And I just thought people would say no. See, the thing about me is at this point in my life, man, I had had all these grandiose expectations for myself. And if I didn't have some news on any of these plans or some development in any of these plans, well, I just kind of withdrew from my friends because I feel like I disappoint them, you know? Oh, that's I never stopped one. thinking about people. Yeah, I just stopped reaching out to him as much because I didn't want to feel I didn't want him to think I, you know, whatever. And uh, and so some of these guys I hadn't talked to in a while, but it just touched me so much that they were actually considering it. You know, they were considering. That's it. It was Memorial Day weekend. That's a big family weekend. One of my best friends in the world, Dan Ainsbury. This guy, he's like, man, that's my uh, my family's my, my wife's family reunion is that weekend. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Damn. And he came. That's he came. awesome. Seven of my best friends from different points in my life, different locations came, man. They flew in. And uh, and the thing about it was is that all these guys are legends in their own way. I mean, just legendary. And they don't, they've never met each other, you know? Some of them, they knew about each other. They've all heard stories about each other. And this was a dream of mine. These dudes didn't know each other. Everyone couldn't make it, obviously. But there was some very close friends of mine that showed up and I hadn't seen some of them in decades. And some of them had been putting up my shit for decades. And that's when this all sort of hit everything that I had learned. You know, I I quit drinking at this point for almost four and a half years. I had been on this meditative thing. I've been trying to self-improve and trying desperately to be happy, trying to to study these different philosophies. stoicism was one marcus Aurelius' meditations got me through a lot but you know all this stuff uh i realized like in that moment when i had these wonderful people that were there because they loved me and i started introducing each of them and as i'm introducing them randall i'm remembering stuff that i completely forgotten about and they had no idea that i remember <laughs> you know and different things about their lives that pressed different things is men that you just respect so much in another man when they do some, you know, noble action. Or something, you know? And these guys had been such good friends to me. And I, ha- I realized also that 
I didn't deserve it, you know? Yeah. I didn't deserve it. And I finally got to this point where they're here and I appreciated them so much. And this was my way of giving back to them by recognizing, you know? And as I'm speaking, I start figuring stuff out for the first time in my life. Yeah. And this is this is kind of where it brought me. Okay. So for everyone listening, do you know this kind of it's like the image that you're sort of putting out there onto the world while you're walking the earth. Okay. It's kind of like the vibe given off when you're encountering different people. It's the little hints and things that you say about yourself when you're telling stories to certain people because you want them to draw certain conclusions about you. Does that sound familiar, Randall? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, hundred percent. I could tell you mine yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So everybody does. Okay. Everyone sort of projects this thing. It's kind of like, it's really just what you're trying to be. Okay. You're trying to be this thing. All right. But it's not really you, is it? Oh, no, it's what you uh, want people to think you are well, and, yeah. and what mean, you want to be. Yeah, you're, you're in there. Like, the real you is buried in there, right? But mm-hmm. it's not re- that thing, including you, it's not really you. No, not at all. Okay, all right. So that's where I, what I realized this moment. See, that thing, all right, and I could see mine so clearly in a lot of ways. I had, in my, in my projection, okay, and this is, this is one of the things that it'll all make sense. And my projected image, one of the things that I had in there was, don't fuck with me. Don't fuck with me. And the reason why that was in there, because I'd been hurt before, and I didn't want to be hurt again. It was that simple, man. And I also, that was one that I also had, I don't put up shit ever. That was also in there, you know? Oh, yeah. And and so, yeah. And so I'm sitting there talking to these guys, and I'm like, Explaining the rules to, of the night. I'm really just talking to Rodriguez because David, I mean, he's not the same guy. He's just not the same guy. And I won't tell his story, but he's had awful shit happen to him. And he's not the same guy as he used to be. And I can tell he's angry. And I'm like, you know what? There's no fighting tonight. I don't give a damn what's going on because I just want everyone to have a good time, right? And he's like, oh, you know, screw that, Josh. Someone comes at me, I'm going to knock him out or whatever. And I'm like, I'm looking at this guy like, what are you talking about? This dude's 6'5". He's a giant. I mean, who's going to fuck with you, Dave? Really? Yeah, you know? yeah. And in that moment, I realized the thing about myself. I mean, I look down. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm ripped. Who's really going to fuck with me, too, unless I want it, you know? Yeah, of course. And so I set that on the shelf, but that's what led me to realize, like, I said for the first time in my life, I'm not, that's not who I am. I'm not going to do that, you know? And so anyways, I, I won't, I don't want to break down that story because I want to get back to the kind of like identifying this stuff. Uh-huh. But here's what it is, man. That, that, I call it your projected image, okay? That projected image, if you analyze it and look at it, okay, and really are honest with yourself, it's based on negative stuff. It's based on things like insecurity. It's based on traumatic events. It's based on, you know, not having enough of something, whether it's love or, you know, money, whatever, based on negative stuff, a lot of it. And think of it. That's what you put so much mental energy in all day long. It's like always there. I mean, 
what do you think of more than that thing? Really? Oh, How nothing. Showing up constantly. I mean, I, I think that's probably what most people think of more than anything all day long, right? And and look, it goes far deeper than that. That thing controls your behavior. All right, I'll tell you how. See, when that shit happened to Shane and I, afterwards, I can remember people saying, you know, my God, were you afraid? What happened? Blah, blah, blah. You know what I said to him, Randall? What? I said, <laughs> yeah, I said, now I know knives can't kill me. Mm. Yeah, I Damn. said that shit. Do you think they believed I believed that? But I didn't believe that at all, man. I felt fragile. When Destero was telling me to, to write a list of things to do before I die, he thought he was talking to the guy that was the two time state champion from the day before. Man, that changed me. I felt fragile, brother. I thought my life had nearly left me on so many different occasions just when the span of like maybe 15 minutes or something that fight might have lasted. Mm-hmm. I felt like at any moment my life could have snatched away from me. By the time that I was there having that, that experience with my friends my birthday, man, I was, I hadn't gone outside of my apartment, like out, out in four times in like two years or something like that. I was convinced if I had gone out, I might wind up being accused again of sexual assault falsely or getting into a fight with someone and hurt them and not getting out of jail out, or prison. I, I really thought that. You know, because, and I'll go back to this thing, okay? So, this thing controls your behavior. Here's how. If you think about it real quickly, every time you make a decision, you say, does this line up with this thing I'm trying to be? Oh, 100%. This thing that's not really you, this thing that's based on negativity, this thing that's just, it's controlling your life. And if it doesn't line up, you won't do something that's in your best interest. Because it doesn't support its existence. Oh, yeah. That's what's so wild about it. See, I told people, I told people, knives can't kill me. But really, the reason why is because if I had said the truth, which was this, I need to talk to somebody. When I close my eyes, I, I don't win this thing. I can't sleep at night. When I finally do, it doesn't go my way. If I had told people that, I felt like I would have been a pussy. Of course. You know? I yeah. mean, that's how we grew up. Right? Of course it is. It I totally get it. That's how it was. And and that, by the way, is an example of toxic masculinity. Absolutely it we'll is. We'll talk about that later. But but anyway, you can see that in my mind, that was real. All right? And instead of getting help, what I went did was join the Army and had a bunch of people screaming at me. I mean, the last thing I needed to do was that. It screwed me up, man. And that's... You know, all that, that history that you gave of me, it sounds impressive until you look at, like, the mental anguish I was going through during all of it. I mean, and I, well, we don't have to talk about that, but I want to get back on, on track here. Here's the thing. That thing controls your behavior. All right, I just gave you one example, but it does it in all kinds of other ways. Oh, yeah, I mean, it can, that, I can see it in all the way down to the clothes you wear. You know, you pick out a, right. a clothes, it's got to match, you know, Every your your tough so guy image. That's what I'm saying. Every decision, the lawn chair, the furniture they pick out, the kind of plants they get, the clothes they wear, they're always thinking about, does this support the identity I'm trying to be? Okay? And as I say, even if you think it's in a positive direction, if it's based on 
negativity, if it's, if it's based on insecurity, it's going to bring you the opposite of what you want. And even if it's bringing you what you want, if it's based on negativity, then there's negative, never enough. There's never enough attention. There's never enough money. There's never enough likes on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. You see, this thing, and this is where people, I might lose people, but I hope they'll stick with me because this thing is what shapes your whole reality. This is what shapes your way of being, your way of being. See, this thing is a trap. And this is where I'm going to lose some people, but I know some people are going to hear me. When I say it creates your whole reality, I mean exactly that. And that's why it's a trap, because everywhere you look is confirmation that the conclusions you've drawn about the world are correct. They're not. And I'm here to tell you I know this because I've changed my reality. If I can bring in horrible things into my life, then I can bring in wonderful things. And it, the key is what you're projecting into this identity because it controls your way of being. If you want to be disciplined, then you need to put discipline into your DNA, into that projection. If you want to be motivated, put it in there. That's the simple part of this. But the other part of this is the things that come up in your life, you're manifesting day or night. Day and night. Day and night. It's right there in the Bible. It says, Jesus says it. A man sows day and night, and harvest when it's ready. Something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, no. That projected image, is, this, is, this is the key to manifest everything that comes along in your life. See, everyone that just heard me that realized, wait a minute, that's not me, their mind just unlocked. That's not me. The second part is, you have to understand, that thing was controlling your way of being. It's your way of being plus what you're thinking about. I'll tell you two big examples. My way of being the night of that fight with Shane, I had to call him several months ago because I realized I'd manifested that. See, I was exhilarated. We're going to drop off beer. We're going to this hotel. I might get late tonight. I've got a hot date. Yep. You know, I want to get to a fight. See, up in this point, that had given me an identity. I'd beaten up bullies were my favorite kind of beat up because you're allowed to beat up bullies. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But you can take your pain and frustration out on them. Well, on that way over there, I felt that. I'd like to get into a fight right now. Oh, yeah. And the next thing I know, I'm embroiled into the worst nightmare of my life. That changed Shane, man. Shane, Shane was a great-looking guy. Everybody loved him. He had no door closed to him. He knew everybody. Oh, yeah. After that, man, he went on a downward spiral, and I felt responsible. I never told him that. And I called him up, I don't know how many months ago it was now, and I said, i got to apologize to you, man. I, I think I brought that on us, you know. You know what he said to me? <clears throat> he said, I wanted just as bad as you. Oh, yeah, I could see that. We brought that on us, man. Yep. You see, it's your energy. It resonates with everyone around you. It precedes you. Guys that are worried about, you know, their girlfriends cheating on them. If you go make your girlfriend a glass of water and you hand it to her and you're worried about her cheating on you, it's in that action. It's in that encounter. When you hand it over to her, you're driving her towards that. I mean, it's based on insecurity. That's what happens. So every time you keep having this 
these events in your life that you can look at and say, yep, I was right. Yep, I was right. And it's always negative. Or there's ups and downs because there's not, it's not all bad. That's the other thing. Your image isn't all bad. Mine was protector. I had protector in there. I had good stuff in there. Yeah, too. yeah, you did. So that's, again, that's what's so, that's what's so tricky about it because you think, well, the good times, the good times, they're not all terrible. There's just ups and downs in life. I don't think it has to be that way. I think it can go up and up and up. But the key is, it's your way of being plus what your thoughts are on. And that's where that's the second part of this mind and lot part. I, I know I'm all over the map. Most listeners will forgive me because I'm just so excited about this. But here's the second part. The first part is recognize that projected image isn't you. The second thing is, it's pretty simple. And, and this is what Mike Cernovich he said, let me ask you a question, man. If you talk to your friends the way you talk to yourself, do you have any friends? <laughs> I mean, what, what about you, Randall? Do oh. you have any friends? Oh, God, no. Yeah. Most people wouldn't. Man. No, because I, mean, I, I can be honest. I've, I've tried to, on this show especially, me and Brooke both have tried to be as transparent as possible about our our faults and our our pluses and yeah. since you know you're being brave enough to go into this and you're one of the you know most badass guys i know i could tell you now that you know people look at me i'm a big guy <clears throat> you know i work out supposedly got big muscles but you know i look in the mirror i'm like you know you look chubby you know right. you you got to you know you got to get all your abs you know, right. this kind of shit is what yeah. I would do. So if I, if I talk to my friends away, like, you're fat. Yeah. You're fat. I would have yeah, no I friends. Mean, well, right. But, and, and I don't just mean what you, the things you say to yourself, sure. too. I mean, the, the things you say about other people. I mean, that little voice, right? That little voice in your head is it's always talking shit about everybody, especially. Right? Oh, yeah. Does that sound familiar? 100%. Yeah. Okay. See, here's what I figured out. All right, now check it out. That voice, it's not just me and you that has that. And it's not just me and you that has the projected image, okay? Everybody does it. And here's the thing that's so crazy. That projected image is fueled by that voice. And that voice is fueled by other people's little voices. Okay? That's what's so crazy. It's, it's a cyclical, I don't know kind of negative feedback loop that just keeps happening. But here's also what's so crazy. See, I forgot to mention this. That projected image, because it's not really you, it's like a barrier from ever really connecting to anyone. I was so alone in my own family. Think of it. I told my own father, nice can't kill me. I should be able to tell that guy anything. I told him that. I was so alone my whole life, man. That's how other people are on various degrees because they're that I think it's really the gulf between who they are for real and that projected image that they're trying to be. It disconnects them. Think about social media. What is it really? It's people trying and failing miserably to connect all day long. The trolls. Trolls just want to be seen and acknowledged. Sure. But they can't. And it's this cycle of just I mean it's so awful and tragic and it's because this thing that, that everyone has they unconsciously accept them 
think about people that get enraged. They get enraged because that projected image's identity is being threatened. It's not really them that's being threatened. They feel that image is being threatened, and mm -hmm. they know how to do it to each other. They say insulting things to damage their intelligence. They say the same things to each other, don't they? Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, so here's the deal. It's that voice. Look, newsflash. Happy people don't think that. Happy people don't say those things to each other. <coughs> Happy people, it never occurs to them to look at someone else and just find their flaw. They just don't do it. Here's why. That voice doesn't have to be some enemy in your mind. You can turn it, and this is the key. You have to. You have to turn it to your trusted companion. See, I've able to imagine the best wrestling coach, or best coach, best fighting coach, the best, you know, life advice, your grandfather's love, you know, factor in your life experience, all your best friends, that voice that even golf claps for you, no matter what you do, that's what I've got going on now. Yeah. I mean, and imagine that. I mean, you've, you're being really, people are being tortured by this negative voice all day long that says negative things about everything. And rarely nice thing, unless you're in a great mood, you know? And so the thing is, and this is the, I know I've gone on, on, the thing is that voice isn't really talking about you. It's talking about your projected image that's based on negativity. And here's what you got to do. If you want to turn it over. Okay. This is why meditation is so powerful. Find someplace still. Pray to God about it. God will answer you. Pray. Here's what you do. You've got to start talking to yourself like a treasured friend for the first time in your life. And that means talking to yourself and asking yourself questions. Why do I do this? Why have I done this? Here's what you do. Something along these lines. Hey, look, I know I haven't always been the best, but I need some help. I'm ready to change shit up. I need you to give me a list of things that I'm doing that's not really me and this this image or whatever. I want to change it. Why do I do these things? And the craziest thing about it is the more you start talking to yourself in a calm way, in a friendly way. I mean, look, you can be stern with yourself. We've all been stern with our trusted friends or our treasured friends. Yeah. But you can be honest with yourself, and that's where these pretty lies got to die. I mean it. They have to. The more you can do that, the more you can unlock your mind. I'm talking that's where magic comes in. It, your life becomes dreamlike. Look, if you can get these answers and you start to understand why you do this, why you project these things, the craziest thing happens. You start to understand why everybody projects the things they do. It's like you become a mind reader. You can look at someone and see what they're trying to be so hard. You can tell why. And when you start understanding other people, the only thing you're going to want to do is realize, I just want to be kind to these people because yeah. I know they're suffering the way I used to suffer. Yeah, show compassion. The way You want to be kinder. I mean, when's the last time? There's people that feel invisible, man. The guard at the grocery store. When's the last time anyone's ever even really looked at that guy? Stands there. No one sees him. The checkout girl. I mean, can you imagine what it feels like to be invisible? Well, see, I that's... Think that's the, 
you know, I that, mean, and that's just one example. The, the, the strange thing on someone's face that only they see is torturing them. They think everyone notices, you know, no one's got a funny voice. This guy's short, whatever it is, they're being tortured by this projected image that's not really them, that they don't know is not them. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this, because I know that that there's going to be some listeners that are saying this, that just know you or know me or have seen you or have seen me. Yeah. And they're going to say, what the fuck do these two guys got to gripe about? You know, look at them. They're muscly. Yeah. They're this, they're that. They're talking about the guy that's invisible. They don't know what it's like to be invisible. I know the difference, but I'm just asking you. Okay. What would you say to that? What I would say is that everyone, I see it now, is going through shit that you just never know, and it's a constant battle. And this is why you see people pushing past each other to get a drink in the bar. This is why you see people smoking dope all day long. This is why there's, I mean, people chase fun so hard. Is fun makes you forget unhappiness bonding with your friends being in the present moment forget the shitty reality that you've created for yourself um you know hey let me I, ask you one more I, i'm sorry me, to interrupt let, you let me let me sorry let me just give one example let's yeah. just go in a completely different direction and i'll explain this a different way okay and this might be better okay thought experience okay imagine for a second you're you're trying to walk to a birthday party, okay? You're a little bit behind. You want to get there on time, and uh, you want to be there to be able to say surprise, right? So, is it to surprise the guy? Yeah. Okay. Now let's imagine that Times Square, a busy ass place. What kind of mental projected image do you get going there? What What would you do? Oh, I mean, I you'd would. Pr- I'd be pushing through people. Yeah, you'd, you'd have a get out of my way. I've got aggressive. Yeah. Right. Like get yeah. the fuck out of my way, kind of. Sure, hundred okay. percent. And what happens? What happens? You, your face changes. You take on a different demeanor. You get focused, and no one really notices, right? Maybe they're doing the same thing. But let me ask you a question: Would you connect? Would you be able to connect anybody while you've got this? Get out of my way! I've got this place to be thing going. Uh, like the shit-eating look. For, no, you can't connect no, with anybody like you're not that. Connecting with not anybody. if you're being honest. Now, you can't. Yeah, no, not connecting. Now let's say you get to the party, right? What do you do then? You drop. You, I'll, I'll answer. You yeah. Drop, you drop this projected image of get out of my way. I've got some place to be, and you kind of go to your default thing that you're more comfortable, with, right? Yeah. Maybe you have a couple drinks to loosen up, or whatever. But sure. You're getting settled back into that old sort of thing that you're used to, the comfortable one. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, just for, as an example, what would happen if you never drop the get out of my way? I've got some place to be projected image while you're at the party. I mean, you would have, you'd be miserable. Nobody would you'd fuck with you. Nobody would talk to you. You're going to get any phone numbers from girls that you know, you know, you're going to make any connect. No, you're not going to connect with anybody because, all right. Now, think of this. What kind of projected image does a soldier have to put out there when he's going to fight across seas in some foreign land that he doesn't really want to go to, that he knows nothing about? All right. Kill him, motherfucker. Kill him. All right. Watch friends die get from point a to point b still be strong enough for the guy living to depend on what kind of projected image does that guy have to have oh i mean well, I, 
I mean, it's got to be hard as hell, doesn't it? Oh, iron-like. Yeah. Yeah. Now, check this out. Those guys, that might work for them when they're over there, okay? But they come back over here, and they're not around any of the guys they used to be. They actually connected with when they were over there under those circumstances. And they're over here, and they still have that same projected image, don't they? Once an Army Ranger, always an Army Ranger. I understand that. Once a Marine, always a Marine. And they think that's who they are. That's just like that. That's just some armor. And I can help them. That's just some armor. They can take off. They can be who they They don't have to keep wearing that. See, it's just as if they went to the party and never dropped the get out of my way. I got some place to be. It disconnects them. It disconnects them from everybody around them. No one can understand. All right. Now check this out. That's a great example, by the way. That one's way more clear. I'm finally glad I I got one. Yeah, that's a great one. But check this out. I never had sympathy before until I understood their drug of choice is suffering food. They eat and feel better. Now, consider this for a second. You see people that are morbidly obese. Did you ever feel sorry for them before? Oh, God, no. I've been meaner than hell. It makes you feel superior guys fit like us them say, just get on the exercise bike, cut out all that you're good. But that's like asking everybody else to give up their drug choice to make them feel better. Now think of it for a second though. This guy weighs hundred pounds of weight. That guy on the know he's suffering that much. Feel better. He's on living. We all know these drunk drug addicts in our lives that have ruined everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry, I thought I might have lost. No, I'm here. But look, but look, it's it's this simple. You have to forgive yourself. You have to look. That image that we can all agree was controlling your behavior. It's not really you. It's controlling your behavior. And here's the other thing. I'm sorry, I'm all over the map. I'm just so excited that we get to talk about. No, this. dude, you're doing great. This is fucking clear as right. clear as day. Think of this real quick, and I think everyone can pretty much agree with these statements if they think about it. But Everybody you've ever hurt, everybody, whether it was incidentally or on purpose, you did it when you were either trying to avoid being hurt yourself or you were suffering more than normal. Right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, really, think of it. You were suffering more than normal or trying to avoid being hurt, and you were being controlled by something that wasn't you. Now, follow me. If that's true for guys like me and you, then that's true for almost everybody else has ever hurt us too. How can we not forgive them when we understand that? How can we not forgive them? They were suffering or they were trying to avoid being hurt. How can I not understand that? You know? Yeah. And so how can you not forgive yourself when you 
really see what's been controlling your life, you really see that you don't want to live that way anymore. You don't want, you want to change your way of being. You want to change your way of being. How can you not forgive yourself? Because here's a fact, and this is what I know. Number one, you can't love anybody until you truly love yourself. And good luck loving yourself if you can't forgive yourself. The fact is this. You wouldn't want to make these changes. You wouldn't want to be listening to what this guy, this crazy guy is saying right now if you didn't want to change because you're good. You're good. And if you're good and you want to change your way of being and you want to create a new reality, that's all this takes. I can tell people how to do it. When I say you create your own reality, I really mean it. I don't mean you start being nice to people and how they're nice back. I mean the energy that precedes you changes everything around you, how people react to you. Think of it. I know everyone will be familiar with this. You walk into a room and the whole mood changes. It's your energy. Mm-hmm. You know, you, people, that, people that get into fights on the road with each other, they attract each other like magnets. It's their energy. It's their way of being. It's your way of being gives off a certain energy. And what you're thinking about it at the time that's what causes whatever is in your life to manifest. I want to tell you a story. I don't know. I, I want to tell you the story about my sexual assault arrest and everything, because I think it's a good, good illustration of what I mean. Yeah. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me just set the stage. All right. So I'd flown, I'd just gotten done with my first extended trip. I'd been gone for six months to Asia I flew back into Huntsville, Alabama for two days. I was there to assure my father that, yes, I'd be paying back the nearly 28 grand he had to loan me so that I could pay for some guy's reconstructive surgery that I hit when I was in a bar fight in Las Vegas like a year before. The reason why I had to do that is because I was facing felony assault. This guy had grabbed some girl that I'd gone, I was on a date with, and I'm no white knight, okay? I walked up to this dude because I just wanted him to smooth things over so that I'd have a nice night. This is the kind of stuff that happens out in bars, and I'm not the type of guy to be manipulated by anybody. Mm-hmm. When I walked up to him, just kind of man-to-man, hey, would you smooth this over, he said something insulting to me. And so I kind of looked at him funny and slapped him in the back of the head like, what the fuck did you just say to me? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And in that moment, Randall, I reacted. He jumped off his bar stool and I hit him with a left hook and a right hand. He, his ass landed on the ground. Well, I broke his orbital bone. I, I was facing some pretty heavy stuff. At, at this point, I'd never been in that kind of like facing that kind of trouble. Well, there I am. A series of events had taken place to where this was my plea bargain. If I pay for this guy's reconstructive surgery, this stuff's over with. I said, great. My dad was there to loan me the money, and even though I hadn't really had that much money at any one time more than once or twice in my life, I was there to say, yeah, dad, I'm going to pay you back, you know, and for the record, I did, but anyway, dad leaves, we go, the restaurant goes, I go, I'm walking out on the street in downtown Huntsville, and this girl, Jamie, says, hey, this, this birthday party's over here, come in the bar, Humphreys, okay, great, I go into Humphreys, Old I've been Humphreys. here, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. But, We've all been there. Yeah. Well, long story short, I start talking to this girl at the bar. And I've got lukewarm interest in this girl at Max. I mean, she's a chubby white girl. 
I'm into Asian chicks at this time. I mean, I just spent six months over there. They're, this girl's nothing like that. But, I mean, there's really nothing else going on. I'm sitting here looking around like I was hoping to see some friends or something, you know, that I grew yeah. up with. And Humphreys is kind of a happening place. And I'm sitting here the whole night kind of like, do I stay or do I go? Well, she's here. Whatever, right? So towards the, towards the end of the night, I'm kind of running my game or whatever. And I, I suggest, like, I kind of, I'm like, we need, I need to make a move here. If I'm going to, you know, hook up with this chick, then I need to make my intentions clear. And if it's not going to work out, I need to go someplace else and maybe see my friends or who knows what. Right. So I suggest, I, I make it, you know, some like comment and we've already kind of smooched at the bar, you know, or whatever. I'm like, let's go out back. Right. So we go out uh, in the alleyway in the back entrance and we start making out and I'm like, come on, let's go. And she's like, no. I, I don't, I don't want to go or whatever. And I'm like, come on, let's get out of here. And no. Okay. She says something that's real dismissive to me. Okay. Now here's what I thought happened at first. I'm annoyed. I say, you know, something equally insulting back, fuck this. And I, I walk out, I'm walking out of the alleyway. I'm on my phone. My biggest concern at this moment is do I wait for a taxi to drive by or do I call one? Cause Uber hadn't shown up in Huntsville yet. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't know this, but there's three cops that had been standing across the street. I mean, it's a two lane road, you know, it's maybe what, like 20 feet or something. Yeah, probably. They were standing there watching the whole affair take place. Uh, she runs across the street to those guys and she says, I've never seen this guy in my life. He just attacked me in the alleyway and showed his hand down my pants. Well, I don't have any idea about this. I'm standing there on the corner and I'm texting again. And, uh, and I know this because when I got out of jail four days later, that text was never sent, but this cop walks up to me. Okay. And he says, Hey, what happened with the girl in the alley? Now I recognize this guy. Cause we were talking about mutual friends we have on the force the night before. And I'm like, I think he's just having guy talk. Okay. And I say, Oh, it was a waste of my time. We just made out or whatever. And he's like, well, she says you dove, you shove your hand out of pants. Now, I look at this guy, Randall. I'm like, no, I fucking didn't. He goes, whoa, 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 stay calm, and I want to rescue. Well, that pissed me off. I said, first of all, I am calm, and no, I fucking didn't. Well, then I get arrested right there for public intox, and they throw me in the back of the car. Okay. I want to go back a step. See, I understand this in a different way now. What came out in the trial was she was actually there waiting for a guy to show up and he never did. This guy, I can't remember what his name was. Well, I realized that in her mind, in her projected in, uh, image, her identity or whatever, whatever's in there, right? One of the things is being worthy of dating that guy. The other thing is, and I'm pretty sure most women can understand this, they don't like to be known as being sluts. She was just seen leaving with me. And I insulted her pretty badly. On my way out, well, I guess I did. You see, I insulted that projected image of sure. hers. Yeah. That thing felt threatened. She felt threatened. She accepts that's who she is unconsciously. She felt threatened. In that moment, she decided she's going to, number one, have an alibi. Number two, teach me a lesson. And number three, she's going to evoke sympathy out of that guy. And that's exactly what she did. She didn't really probably go through that thought process, but that's what she did. That's really what she did. Yeah. So. Now, listen, that was my way of being. My way of being was when she insulted me and dismissed me initially, I wanted her to feel exactly how I felt because she insulted my projected image of this player, well-traveled, charming, 
bitch, you're lucky to be talking to me. I mean, I don't even like fat girls. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that. Yep. Right. So she insulted this and it, it really pissed me off because I had invested a lot of energy in developing this thing. I mean, and I was insulted. Well, of course I reacted the way I did. Then I encountered this cop. Now I really remember, I don't put up with anybody, anybody's shit ever, including yeah. cops. So yep. when he started saying that to me again, it insulted this image of mine. I'm like, do I look like the type of guy that would do that? This off. Well, what did I do? I pissed off his, I'm in charge here, motherfucker, image. I'm a cop. Yep. And you know what? I don't really like the way you look right now because you're kind of intimidating and kind of angry. And I'm going to teach your ass a lesson. Now, check this out, Randall. Neither of us, none of us in this whole scenario ever really connected. We never really saw each other for real. She saw an angry dude that was pissed off. I saw some fat girl that I wasn't even interested in that, that, that insulted me. Okay. This cop, he never saw me. I'm a guy that's helped people. I'd run into a burning building just like he probably would. This guy would run into a burning building to save somebody. But in that moment, he decided to fuck my life up, knowing full well, because he watched the whole thing, that I never did anything. I had to sit there and listen to these guys all get their little story straight while they were going to, uh, you know, uh, charge me or whatever. And it was crazy, man. I mean, it was crazy. And so long story short, I'll just say it uh, just so everyone knows the outcome of this, my way of being, what else was going to happen to me though? I mean, when my way of being was like that over time, what was going to happen to me? Of course I was going to, do you know what I was obsessed with at the moment? That's the other thing. I was, I was very much into false accusations on men and how men were getting falsely accused. And there it was happening to me. Yep. It wasn't a mistake. It was my way of being plus what my mind was focused on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Me and you have both in the past been That's, very vocal about false accusations. Well, but, well, yeah, but you know, and, and look, here's the thing. I understand how that happened now. Now, with my new way of being, that would never take place. That's impossible because I see people for real. I'm kind to them. That's the thing that's so crazy. See, the thing about being authentic, it makes you invincible. But it takes courage to do it because you feel vulnerable at first. But yeah. do you know how, how, do you know, and this is the thing, do you know how many people are going to accuse just a guy that's, kind and loving of sexual assault probably None. not it just doesn't happen yeah. i mean nothing it doesn't happen to people. and and do you know how many people are going to want to fight a guy that's just kind and loving i mean or in my case my my authentic self okay i'll just it's a sexy beast. You know how many people want to fight a sexy beast? <laughs> almost none. <laughs> you know, almost none. And the ones that do have something smart to say, I realize they just want to connect, man. Yeah. And, and what's so wild about it, and this is really magical too. You see, when you start being authentic with other people, they just drop their projected image and they don't even realize it. They start being themselves. So they, they start, start being, being who they really are. You. Yeah. Yeah. They start being who they really are. And the last thing they want to do is ever harm the guy that they can be themselves around. They don't want to do it. No, it doesn't even occur to them. They, they can be themselves. They can be loving. You see, that's what, 
this conversation, man, is, I'm sorry it's no, so it's, far it's all it's over huge, the map, man. I, dude, I, I was hoping we could go in a more ordered fashion, but dude, it, it makes point, total man. sense. I mean, you're the one you're, I can see how you think that, but it's, it's been very structured. It's clear. As, okay. It makes total sense. It's going to, I think a lot of people are going to be like, it's, it's so simple though. Yeah. If you would have just, if you take the time and you hear it, it is really, it sounds yeah. simple, but yeah. it's well, got to be powerful. Say so, I will say something. I just want, just so everyone knows, I mean, I was, this is what happened to me in that courtroom. I mean, it was horrible. You know, they picked the jury. Does anyone know Mr. Hall? I do. I look over. It's my seventh grade counselor, Miss Davidson. I was mortified. I was Josh's seventh grade counselor. Okay, hey, Miss Davidson. <laughs> well, anyways, they picked this jury, right? You're you're looking at it. It was nine women and three guys. And excuse me, you can't help but just look over and say, "Do these people know how to follow the rules? Are they going to catch everything? I mean, what's going to happen, right?" Well, the first the first day, the three cops go. And pretty much all, I mean, all of them, it was great for me. They established that the, the way that they actually arrested me was how I described it. They say it lasted, the whole encounter maybe was a minute long, 45 seconds to a minute. No, they didn't see anything that would make them, you know, think a sexual assault was occurring. No, they never, if they had guessed that, yes, they would have approached it, you know. I mean, just stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. So the next day, the girl goes. All right. And she's up there for four and a half hours to describe what happened in a, a 30 second event and what was going on inside. Now, you got to understand, there's no videotape at this point. My appointed attorney called four months later and they, they erased it after two weeks. You know, I had an appointed attorney. I couldn't get the guy to even call me back. You know, this thing lasted for over two and a half years, bro. They kept continuing my, uh, my trial because my attorney was never ready or they would reveal some new piece of evidence that they hadn't uh, given us, you know, some new, I say evidence. They, they, the, the first time they had a five page statement that, that they'd been holding on to the day before trial. Damn. Well, anyways, I, I won't bore you with that. But so the second day the girl goes, she's up there for four and a half hours. Okay. I'm looking over at the jury trying to glance, like, are they buying this or that to me, I'm seeing something that's rehearsed. That's grown in, in scope and it, and duration that, I mean, you could tell she's, she's looking up at all the right moments, you know, she's, she's kind of wiping some tears that aren't really there away from her eyes. I mean, it's like that kind of thing, you know, and I'm, but I'm looking over at the jury and the women, some of them are dabbing their eyelids, tears. The guys are standing still, you know, staring stone faced cold. I'm like, Oh my God, this is how innocent people go to prison, you know? And so I'm very, when this is done, they take a recess, right? And I've got to walk on my own. I, I, I don't even know what to think about this. Well, I come back, and there in the courtroom, I see the district attorney, you know, and she's speaking to my attorney, who, by the way, is a different guy at this point, Chris Masurvi, the man's like an angel. He's not even really a, a criminal attorney, but he agreed to represent me after he, after he saw, like, wait a minute. There's, you know, he saw all the evidence was out, and he was like, Josh, Man, I'm sorry this happened to you, but but anyways, so she walks away. I walk up to him, like, "What's up?" He goes, "Listen, man, they've got a plea deal. There's no uh, sex offender status. There's no um, jail time at all. All you have to do is pay a fine, and this is over." 
Now, hang on, there's a helicopter going over here. I'm on my balcony. Oh, I can hear it. It sounds awesome, though. What would you do, Randall? All I had to do was plead to a misdemeanor, uh, Class C misdemeanor, harassment. What would you do, man? It had been two and a half years of sleepless nights. I mean, it was horrible. Man, I, I'm telling you, I've thought about it. I, my gut, my heart would be to be like, no, fuck that. We're going to trial. I want to be innocent. Yeah. But a big part of me would want to take that just to get it over with. It, just to be over with. I mean, yeah. Well, I'm with you, though, man. You see, I was this close to saying, okay. But then my friends started showing up. My friends, man. My family starts walking in there, you know. And I'm sitting here like, <laughs> if I say yes to this thing, then they're going to always wonder if I really did it, you know. Yep. And I said, Chris, man, I'm not doing it. He said he wanted me to take it. He was pressuring me hard. Josh, sex offender status. This is an opinion thing. I mean, you know, this is and this is this is at a period of time where this is a big deal. You know, this is this is after like, uh, you know, Obama saying one in four women are sexually assaulted on campus, and mm -hmm. you know the all this other stuff, and I'm just like. You know what, man? I didn't do it. And I'm not saying I did. You know? Yeah. And man, Randall, I don't know. He wanted me to I know he didn't want to let me down. But and he walked that fine line. He's got, he's got a split second, okay, to catch someone or something when they're lying or remembered something they said previously that didn't agree with what they're saying now, you know. You can't go back like, whoa, whoa, judge. You know, hang on a second. What she said five you know, minutes ago, I just remember, you can't do that. I've got one split second to say something. Yep. Well, I don't know what happened, man. Something clicked in his head. He walked this fine line. It wasn't too hard on her where the jury started hating But he wouldn't let her get away with anything. He started catching her in these, these lies, flat out lies. And it all started crumbling. I mean, my dad described it. It was like there were long, painful miles between her answering some simple question, lied about, and got caught, and then the next lie to try to cover it up. First, you know, do you know what? It was obvious to everybody why. It was obvious that the whole thing was fabricated. But the district attorney kept trying to prosecute like winning some football game. I mean, that's what mm. people deal with every day in the country, by the way. They deal with with that kind of pressure where no one's going They don't see me. And that's what I want to see. He never saw me. I was just a guy of some, whoever, some, some person that wasn't really a person. I didn't see her as anything more than some horrible possible, you know? But if you were, if you were able ever to actually see and connect for real and drop those it would I mean, think of it man think of it like if, if families connected like that families really connect and then those families connected with their neighbors on that level where they knew that other person for real you know and, and this is why I think really this is what 
I'm going to say it. What Christianity was all about. Man, it's all in It's all in there. The secret, the secret is a ripoff of the New Testament. We can get into all this later, and I, but here's where I finally want to go with this. Your way of being is determined by that thing that you're putting so much mental energy projecting. It's so easy to be who you really are. You just have to have the courage to do it. This boils down to letting go of thought processes that aren't serving you. And really, this is a higher way of thinking. You see, when you start to realize that you can have whatever you want, you just have to believe it and have faith and be grateful for it, it comes to you. Do you know how easy it is to have a positive mood or positive thinking when your whole reality is fertile for positive thinking? It's easy. But that's why positive thinking never really works for most people because, you see, they live in a shitty reality. Yeah. And really, it's a testament. It's a testament to everybody that's ever focused hard enough and gotten things done in their shitty-ass reality because they've been training their minds their whole life, but in a negative way. You see, it boils down to this. When we're kids, we start to realize that if you love something, whatever they send back to you hits you directly in the heart. And so we start guarding our hearts, and that's when kids, kids start to become mean. That's when that projected image starts to really form. Yep. And it just adds on and adds on and adds on because there's no one there to explain to them. Our parents don't know about this. Our parents would think we're crazy if we just start busting out, oh, you projected image. By the yeah. way, this is how you manifest stuff in your life. What? <laughs> you know? No one was there. It's, they've got their own projected image that disconnects them from their families. Think of like, think of a doctor, okay? I don't know if you know any doctors, but they can't shut up about being doctors. Mm -hmm. They just want to be acknowledged. They just want to be seen. They want the same thing that everybody else does. I understand it now. They want to be seen as someone who's done something prestigious, so they come up with little clever ways to drop this information about themselves, yeah, you know? of course. The, yeah. Like, okay, I'll tell this one guy. We're out in the bar. Oh, man, I was, I'm really tired. I was up in the OR all night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, are you a doctor? Actually, I'm a surgeon. You know? Oh, oh we've wow. all done it. We've all done yeah. it. Just yeah, replace yeah. the I word mean, surgeon with whatever. When I was an Army whatever. Ranger, I couldn't shut up about being an Army Ranger. When I was a fighter, I couldn't shut up about being a fighter. I mean, I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be acknowledged. That's what everybody really wants. That's what Instagram's about. That's what social media is about. That's what trolls are doing. They just want to be seen, but they can't connect with anybody because they're never really being who they really are. That's what's so wild about it. And, and technology has made this worse. You see, it adds another layer, another layer of separation from really being there. That's why you always say, motherfucker, you'd never say that to my face. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, well, yeah. of course not. But, but the thing, it goes deeper than that. You see, even if that person was in your face, You'd never really connect until you drop those projected images and be who you really are. That's why friends that started out as enemies are so close. I really didn't like that guy at first, but then I got to know him. That's how it always happens, right? Yep. Lots and lots yeah. of those. Yeah. So here's what happens, man. As kids, I'll go back to this because this is important. As kids, you start guarding your heart. And people do this as adults. They always say it. Don't fall in love too quickly. Don't, don't, uh, you know, watch out for that person. And so here's the deal. 
as you go on, you start guarding your heart. You start being careful who you let in. You start being careful who you're nice to. And what you're really doing, what you're really doing is loving in fear. That's all it really is. And if you're loving in fear, then you're living in fear. Now, I never considered myself to be a coward, but that's what I was doing. Can you see where I'm going with this? Absolutely. Most people are this way. I'm not saying you have to love stupidly, but do you understand that you can be a loving person without giving out your bank account cards to everybody? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. And do you understand, like, angry people? I was always very angry. You see, when you're walking around with a don't fuck with me attitude, it keeps you at like a six out of 10 on the anger scale at all times. I mean, everywhere I looked was some asshole. Yeah. It can't be good with, for your health. And I'm speaking from no. experience, like yeah. knowing for me, like what it, I can only imagine what it's caused stress wise, which then leads to, you know, uh, inflammation think, and I injuries. You're exactly right. But it's deeper than that. You see, that thing, that thing is the call. I think it's the cause of health problems too, because when you're disconnected from people, when you're disconnected from God, that's what you see in sinful behavior. My drug of choice was, was women. All right. Women made me feel better. They fed a lot of insecurities that were in that, that projected image of mine. I felt, I never got a lot of love at home. I mean, I was completely disconnected from my family and really from my friends. And if a woman cared about me, it made me feel better about myself, you know? But the truth is, I hated myself. And if they knew who I really was, they wouldn't love me that much because I was seeing multiple women to make myself feel better. I was telling them all the stuff that they wanted to hear. I mean, I was living a lie. That's not who I really am, but that's what I was doing because it was the only thing that made me feel better. It was a loop. Mm-hmm. It was a loop, man. Yep. You know, and, and when you're looking cycle. around for trouble everywhere, looking for, I just never wanted to be fucked with, but you can ask people, guys would come across the bar to start some shit with me. And people would say, but you're so big. Why would anyone ever want to fight you? I don't know, but they did. And now I know why that energy, that energy I was given off. It was bouncing off of other motherfuckers with the same energy. Sorry, I should drop. Well, no, but I don't mean me... to drop so many F-bombs. That's another thing I've been trying to, I don't want to curse that much yeah. anymore. I just don't want to. Well, let me tell you but, this, because uh, this, yeah. this leads to your point. This is very poignant. I think people need to hear, not just from you, but how correct that statement that you just said. I've, I've said it a bunch of times to a bunch of people, and they never believe me. Um, and Brooke can attest to this. If I go to a bar, I'm going to, there is always somebody that's going to come up to me and be like, oh shit, how much you bench? Oh, hey, come here. Let's arm wrestle. Yeah. Or just, you know, poke at me. Um, yeah. and, I, you, and I never really Randall, thought about you, it that and, I could Randall, be bringing you know that on. I realized, man, and this is the honest to God's truth. You see, you don't show up the way you think you do in other people's realities. Everyone has their own reality that they create. That's why and when I say that, I really mean that. They each have their own individual reality. You're not showing up in their reality the way you think you are. And they're not showing up in your reality the way they think they are. But what they desperately want to do is connect with you. Something about you makes them want to connect with you. 
and they're so fucked up they don't know how to do it. That's what's really happening, man. Yeah. And they want desperately for you to prove them wrong about the way they think you are. There you go. That's all they want, man. And it's so wild when you st- and that's what I'm saying. When you start being authentic with these people, they stop and you find someone that's just a suffering soul, man. Doesn't have that many friends. Real, you know, th- I'll tell you, look, man, they people, everybody out there, that's all this is really about. Everyone's struggling to connect and they feel disconnected. And those guys at the bar that start some shit with you, have something to say about the way you're dressed, think that, you know, they want to arm wrestle you. They just want to talk to you and find out what's going on with you. And they don't even know it. Yeah, That's how people talk to each other in this crazy, crazy reality that we all share. Because everyone's disconnected and they're unhappy. Happy people don't do that shit. That's the bottom line. They just don't do it. It never even occurs to them to come up to someone and challenge them to an arm wrestling fight because (laughs) match because they don't like the way the guy's arms looks or the the ways. I mean, they just doesn't occur to them. Yep, they wouldn't do it. No, hell no. You know that makes total sense. But listen here, here to go back to the health thing, and this is where I want to tell people, I. I feel connected to not just other people. I mean, with my range of experiences that I can draw upon, you know, from these different, different things that's happened to me and different things I've gone through, I can connect with anybody. If I, if I can talk to them long enough, Mm -hmm. I can, if they're, if they're willing just to speak, you know, and be, be somewhat open, you know, but what I found was, and I, and I, I found that my body, all that energy that I was diverting towards this thing that was never really me. It was like a monster by the time I was 40. I mean, there was so much stuff going on in there, rattling around and conflicting with it. It's like, it's really like a conflict, like computer programs that conflict with each other. But I, I realized that all that energy is now being diverted back to me, back into my cells. My body's been healing, man. I can't stop dancing. I dance every day, man. Every single day. And I realize it's because I'm connected, not just to other people now, but to God through Christ's way. That's the truth. I mean, Christ describes a way of being to get closer to God. And he says it all in there. He says, your father wants you to have whatever you want. You just have to pray for it. He's talking about manifesting. He says, pray from moment to moment. He's talking about manifesting. There's no wasted moments when you realize you have to, you can have whatever you want. You don't have boredom anymore because you know, the more I think about this and the more I put this energy into it and the more my way of being reflects that I can have what I, look, I'm not trying to sell people on reward. I'm not trying to bribe them here. Living in accordance to Christianity. I mean, look, treat people the way you want to be treated. That's as cool as it gets. Yeah, That's as cool as it gets. There's nothing cooler than that principle right there. You know, and that doesn't mean treat people as if that person was you. That's not the same thing. Treat people the way you'd like to be treated. You'd like to be acknowledged. You'd like to be heard. You'd like to be seen for real. I mean, you'd like someone to be friendly and loving to you. That's not hard to do. Those things are easy. And guess what? What I'm basically saying is this way of being brings you nothing but peace and happiness. You think, you mean I get peace and happiness and then I can manifest whatever I want also? That's amazing. That's how it is. That's how it works. 
It's all through the Bible. I see it. I mean, now that I've read, I've been reading the Bible, I see it. It's as clear as day. He says it over and over. He even gets irritated with his disciples. He's like, you think I'm talking about just bread and fish? How long do I have to put up with you? You know? Mm -hmm. But anyway, but anyway, my point is that I realize that most people's bodies are underpowered. I mean, what do we have? We've got all this advanced technology in us. There's something called autophagy that takes place after fasting. It was just proven in, in 2016 by a Japanese scientist. He won the Nobel Prize for it, autophagy. What happens is when your body's undergone a certain state of dep- deprivation, it releases these things called phagosomes into your body, okay? And these things cruise around and start eating malfunctioning cells and misfolded proteins and all kinds of detrimental stuff that's in your body. And then they recycle behind them a more powerful cell than was ever there to begin with. Now, when you start getting in touch with your spirituality, you're driven to fast on your own because you just want to. But what this guy is proving through science is that this takes place and you can just key it in and and spur it to happen by fasting on your own, whether you're spiritual or not. Now, check this out. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's one thing. What do we have? But when you're spiritually connected, you have the energy. I mean, if I said that to someone that was suffering, they're like, stop eating. I'm, I can barely sleep. I, I got no energy. And someone that's spiritually connected, they want to do it. They're, they're, they're guided to do it. Well, check this out. It does, what do we have all these, I mean, stem cells in our bodies for? Are they just hanging out? No, those are advanced. Those are, that's advanced technology that can repair us. That's underpowered when you're connected to other people and god your body feels like it's got so much energy surging through it and i can see it you can see these people as they get older they start hobbling along they start they start moving bent over and stiff right yeah well when you're connected to god and you're connected to other people all you want i mean this is my experience you just want to dance man Every day I dance as part of my warm up. And here's something that, that I should mention too. Like it's part of it's really part of that projected image. People are embarrassed to dance because it doesn't jive with that thing they're trying to be. They oh, don't yeah, want to look stupid. Tough, yeah. Yep. You know? They, but think of it. That that's a chain, man. Those are chains. Other people look. Randall, how many expectations that you have for yourself are based on other people's expectations? Oh, almost all of them. Yeah. Those are chains, whether, whether they're good or bad or whatever, unless it's what you really want, what you want. It's nothing but a chain, man. Now, let me ask you another question. How many expectations that you have for yourself, they're not even based on what you know other people's expectations are. It's, you're, they're based on what you think other people's expectations are for you. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, now we're talking crazy town, but that's how everybody operates. Yeah. No, that everybody, is. Everybody, listen, everybody has, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you go Everybody ahead. has a projected image that's torturing them that's, that's really not who they are, right? Everyone has a little voice in their head that's probably mostly negative, and everyone has expectations for themselves. It's not even based on what they really want. And in a lot of cases, not even based on what other people really want for them. They just sort of assume it. And they're miserable, man. Look at all the, all the antidepressants that are going on. Look at everyone posting Instagram photos. I mean, 
Do you know what's really sad about Instagram and this current generation of young people? They're, they're experiencing mental anguish in ways that we never were. Now, check it out. This is what I believe. I believe we're on the verge of a spiritual awakening. Here's what happened. Physical discomfort led to physical comfort. Look at, look at where we are today. I mean, has there ever been a time in someone's life where most people can go without working for about a year or something without really experiencing, experiencing any real physical discomfort? I mean, think of that. Yeah. No. But but look at where we are mentally. People are suffering in, in mental ways that you never, I mean, who's ever thought of the fear of missing out? Are you familiar with that? Oh, that's, FOMO. That's the, the theme of my most of my life. Yeah, the fear of missing out. Well, today's generation of younger people, and I know this because I've dated a lot of younger girls, they have a fear of missing out, not because they're so much worried about them not experiencing something they want other people to see that they've experienced it on instagram they're worried about other people's opinions on instagram that's not even a physical thing it's all mental it's all in their minds it only exists in those realities they've created for themselves but that's where we are we're at a stage of mental suffering that it's real. It's every bit is real. Look how unhealthy people are now. The obesity, the drinking, the drugs. I mean, we've got an opioid epidemic in this country because people are trying to escape misery. Now, look, this is why you're never going to be able to lose weight because I'm asking you to take away your drug of choice, which might be food. You'll just replace it with some other thing. Well, hopefully it can be something, you know, uh, positive. But until you address the happiness issue, you're always going to have another drug that you have to fall back on to help you escape. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. I mean, that's, well, that's what we do as people with probably anything that we, uh, quit. We yeah. Replace. Yeah. And it doesn't, and, and you know what the worst part is, it doesn't even necessarily have to be, uh, some, it didn't have to be dirty fun, like drugs or sex or whatever. It, some people think it's okay because it's their job. Oh, well, I work all these crazy hours. You know, I provide this home. That's one of those pretty lies. I provide this lifestyle. That person just wants to connect with you. Your wife or, or, or husband just wants to connect with you, and you're, you're hiding from life in your job. Some people use their children, you know. Some people use some charity work, whatever it is. But my mom, my mom reads for hours and hours and hours. She's not really there. Her husband's right there watching TV, wanting to connect with her, but she's not really there. I mean, think of that, you know, that's normal, but that's normal. And it's the reason what's so scary about all this stuff is normal. All this trauma, all this mental anguish, it's somehow not as important because it's normal. But that doesn't make it any less real to the individual that's suffering. You see? Yep. That And that's what I think I have, this message that I have. See, it doesn't have to be that way. Whether you believe that you can manifest whatever you want or not, that's the icing on the cake, really. If you can change your way of being to be authentic, you never be more happy in your life. Loving people come back into your life. And let me tell you something. <clears throat> Love is healing. Your relationships will improve. Your relationships will be repaired because you're coming from a loving place 
Love is healing. And when you're loving God and yourself, your body starts to heal. Your body starts healing, man. I thought I was going to be in a wheelchair, Randall. That's no bullshit. My back was so jacked up after the army and fighting and CrossFit and whatever else. I mean, I thought I'm going to be in a wheelchair by the time I'm 37 or 47. When I was 37, I was thinking that. Yeah. Man, I dance every day now. And that's why dancing is also so healing. You move your body in ways that you just don't normally do. And that's the other thing. I have this theory that you become confined to your least common movements. Your, 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 I'm sorry, your most least common movement. Mm-hmm. Well, I look at these old people and I say, did they dance every day? No, they didn't. And that's why I know it's so healthy. You see, and I know this is this this revelations that I had. I know that this is what drove me towards Christ, towards Christianity. And it's not cool to be a Christian today. Okay, well, no, yeah, it's, it's not cool at all. Everyone thinks it's some sort of stuffy, lame, conservative bullshit. As a Christian, I'm trying to curse less because, you know, I just don't like the way it sounds. But for for emphasis, I will throw some curse, some f bombs sure, in there. But it's not cool to be a Christian. But how cool is it to just want to treat people the way you want to be treated? No, it's totally it's a, a know, backwards ass yeah. beliefs. You know that we believe that nowadays, and I've spoke about that on this uh, show before because I got a little, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it wasn't a lot, but I got a little hate. You know, I've talked about on here that I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm a, I'm a sinner, um, all those things, and it's it. it for some reason, when you when you bring those words out in a conversation, it's like being the wah, 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 which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's like it's like there's the idiot over there. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, and and here again, you're talking about the reason why people react that way is because they're afraid of other people's opinions if they endorse it. That's what's so wild. See, they're afraid to say or or to even consider it because it's not cool. See, it conflicts with their projected image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> That's really sure. what it boils down to. But if they could get over, look, I just want the listeners just for a moment think, hey, man, maybe this guy's on to something. I can tell you the only thing that saved my life for decades, the only thing that kept me from checking out was that in my projected image, I was no pussy. And I felt like a guy that killed himself was a coward. And I just couldn't bring myself to be remembered that way. Mm-hmm. That's the irony of it. It's kind of saved my life, even though it's tortured me my whole life. But the thing that, that really hit me when I first had these revelations, when my, my mind was unlocked, the first, and this is the, this is how it worked. The first part was my mind. Okay. My mind was unlocked and I realized, wait a minute. I can change this up. I can, if I can change my reality, then wait a minute, that makes me kind of powerful. Okay. And that's what I really did. I changed my reality. And then I said, wait a minute, if I can change my reality, then what's really stopping me? Self-limiting beliefs. And when I started understanding other people, and I, I can tell you, I understand people that you don't want to understand child molesters. That happened to me, man. That happened to me. That's when I, you know, we're talking about have kids, yep. when kids start being mean. That's what happened to me, man. That happened to me. And, you know, mm. 
child molesters. Imagine without without giving any sort of good or bad or value judgment on their actions when we all know they're horrible. We know that. Think of what it must be like to be a person that knows they're awful, knows they're despised, and yet they can't stop. And a lot of them were molested themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's I usually mean, the case. Whether you whatever you want to say, that's suffering. That's a form of suffering. I don't whether they deserve it or not, that's fine. That's still a form of suffering. I understand those kinds of people because I understand that projected image so well. You know, we could fat like I said, fat people. I could never relate before until I understood what they were doing and why. You know, all of these people are acting in ways that they think they have to, that they think they have to, to avoid being hurt or stop suffering temporarily. And that's what's so wild about it. When you understand that, you start being kinder. And that's the thing. That's what drove me to Christ. Christ, I just wanted to treat people the way I wanted to be treated. And that's a Christian principle. That's, a, that's what led me towards that. And I can, I could, I know I've spoken so much. I don't want to bore everybody, but the second part for me was my soul. I know my soul was forgiven. I experienced it. And then the last thing was my heart. My heart was still so fucked up, Randall. You're talking about a guy that had put guard upon guard upon guard on there. You know, didn't want to be hurt. I mean, do you know why I did all this stuff? If you keep talking to me long enough, you'll see how interesting I am, and you'll see that I'm worthy of friendship. Oh, of course. And you'll know yeah. that I can protect you. Yep. But by the way, don't fuck with me because <laughs> yeah. I'm dangerous, and if you ever hurt me, you don't want to hurt me. That's what I did, man. That's what I did. I set all these guards up. I mean, I had friends. You see, when you have a don't fuck with me attitude and, and, and I don't put up with any shit from anyone ever, over time you come into conflict with everybody especially your friends and loved ones, and they don't understand you. But for me, I set up all these crazy principles that people have to abide by to be friends with me, or I would look for a reason not to be friends with them any longer because I don't want to be hurt. I don't want my heart to be broken again. Yep. That's you know? crazy, isn't it? And, that's, yeah. That's, that's wild, but, but that's true. Everyone operates. I'm an extreme case, okay? I, I think that, I mean, Unless I was suicidal for decades. As I said, I, I know that. I mean, I thought about it all the time. I got to the point where I was like, maybe I could just jump out of an airplane and not pull my chute or, you know, fall off a rock and say I was trying to climb it. You know what I'm saying? That's mm -hmm. where my mind had gotten to. And, you know, and, and remember, I, I wasn't leaving my apartment, man. I was afraid that I was going to get to a fight with somebody or be accused of something that I hadn't done. So when I tell you that, hey, it's not just Josh found Christ and, wow, that's cliche. No, it's I started from the opposite end, and it led me to Christ through my own revelations. And I realized he's describing a way of being. I'll give you an example of what I mean. And this is one of the reasons why I think people get turned off from Christianity. In there, in, when he's describing ways of being, he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. That never sat right with me. That always aggravated me. Meek is cowardly. Cowardly. Meek isn't strong. Meek is, I mean, how can that really be a functional way of being? Well, I go and I look up the Hebrew word and the Greek word, which is what the Bible was originally written in. Some people think it's 
King James English, and that's not correct, but that word was never meant to be meek. A more close translation is actually humble or gentle. Gentle. Now, mm. it's easy to be humble when you're nobody. Yeah. But when you're a guy like you, who can probably deadlift 500 pounds or something, or a guy like me, or, or any of these other people that are actually very powerful, and they, they realize they can when you're humble, that's really what that means is power under restraint, mm -hmm. gentle, power under restraint. Now, when you start exercising that and you're gentle with people, when you're talking to them or when you're, you know what you're saying, like when you're being blunt and telling them, hey, no bullshit. This is but when you're gentle, they get the message so much, so much easier, you know? Mm -hmm. And they don't, they don't, you didn't offend their projected image. You know, they don't feel threatened by you when you're humble. I always, I was all people always used to accuse me of being very arrogant, mm -hmm. but I was yeah. like, where are you getting that from? I, I don't even believe in myself. I'm so mm -hmm. insecure. I mean, you think I'm arrogant. I, yeah. I'm just trying to sit here and fake it till I make it, you yeah, know, there you go. but, but, but the thing is, is that no, Humble is when you believe in yourself and you want what you want for everybody what you have. That's what I want now. I want everyone to have what I have. You know, I've, I'm happy for the first time in my life, man. I can say that. And it yeah, feels good. And I'm grateful. I feel grateful every day, Randall, because number one, it feels good to feel grateful. So why wouldn't you do that for yourself to take the time to feel grateful? But the other thing is, when I know that I can connect to my family for the first time and I'm healing those relationships, you know, I haven't talked to my brother in something like 13 years. I haven't seen him, man. Yeah. I'm working on that now. I don't know if he'll ever forgive me, but I hope to God he does because I, I want it, I want him to know these things, you know? Well, let me tell you, he's what... got a family that I haven't, <laughs> he's got two sons I've never spoken to, never seen in person. His picture is my lock screen yeah. with his family, man. But That's great, what I'm yeah, trying to say is love is healing. Yep. Love is healing. And when your way of being reflects that, your whole it's not like your life, hey, uh, you know, like uh, I stopped getting into arguments, you know, uh, because I stopped. No, your way of being changes because what you're putting out there, your, your who you are kind of a thing changes. Your behavior conforms to it. Your thinking conforms to it. It's it's magical and it's better. It's yeah. just better. Well, you can you know? hear it. What what I hope people take away is for me as your friend hearing it. You know, these people that are hearing you for the first time, they may they they can't experience that. But I can say as your friend, hearing the difference in your voice from how it was. You know, just a couple of years ago when we would talk, the everybody says that, the aggression, everybody. the aggression yeah. in your tone is gone. Like you and I don't know if it was conscious, subconscious, how you uh, how you spoke previously, yeah. but there was a difference, and it was that little. Uh, there was just a, a a bunch of that. Don't fuck with me. Sprinkled it, even if we were having a great conversation, it was still yeah. peppered into there, and it was. It's interesting that you use the word gentle. That I wrote that down. That 
a lot of this I've been taking little notes because we put notes at the end of the show, show notes for people. Yeah. But I wrote that down and circled it <clears throat> because that's such a uh, drastic difference from the Josh that I first knew. Uh, that would be the mm-hmm. last word I put beside <laughs> yeah. Josh Hall. If someone said describe Josh yeah. Hall, it would be the last yeah. word that I used. And now well, you can hear it. Yeah. Well, you know, man, I'm, I'm reminded of something you said at the very beginning. I, I was known as the mean-ass wrestler. And I was mean. And back in those days, I thought being mean, and I think a lot of men do this. You know, I can't believe how much, how many men draw their ideas of toxic masculinity. It's a real thing. Mm-hmm. How many men draw their ideas about what is masculine based on like movies and shit? Yep. I mean, really, if you ever saw the writers of these movies, okay. The last thing you'd want to do is follow their advice on what's masculine. I mean, we're talking about some of the biggest wimps on the planet. And but in those days, I thought being mean made you tough. Let me tell you something. Being mean doesn't make you tough. It just makes you mean. You can be tough. Look, it wasn't meanness that saved my life when I fought those dudes. It was the love for life that made me keep going. Sure. I wasn't like, oh, yeah. I'm so mean, I'm gonna survive. No. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and 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 so on, but being mean doesn't make you tough, man. And being yeah. gentle, I just look. Everyone's always all my whole life. Your tone, your tone, and it would aggravate me. I'm like, my tone. You know, if you really cared about solving this conflict, you would be focusing on the words I'm saying, not my damn tone. Uh-huh. But tone is so important, and that was one of the pretty lies I told myself. I knew the way I could wield that. I knew the way I could be intimidating with my tone or mean sounding or just spiteful or, yeah. you know, mean, mean, sure. I could be mean with my tone. Yeah. And, and that's, that's not who I really am, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that. Look, I'll give you an example. What's the first thing that you tell your son when you're teaching him how to fight? Shoot, I'm trying to think when we first started him, because, you know, we started gunner and jiu-jitsu. I, I can tell you, hit first, right? Oh, sure. Uh, strike first, first. strike That's hard. That's the first thing you have to tell kids that you want to know how to fight. If you ever get into a fight, hit first and hit hard, right? Oh, yeah. Hit very But hard. why do you have to tell a kid to hit first? Because no one really wants to do that. Oh, no one God, wants no. to just hit someone or hurt someone deep down. They don't want to do that. That's why we have to tell them, you have to hit first. Think of, what, think of the deeper meaning behind that. The real person, the real kid there who's trying to learn to fight, who's trying to be tough, who wants to be able to defend himself, you have to actually tell him to hit first. Mm-hmm. Think of what that really means. That's who people really are. No one really. People want to find someone to take out their frustration and aggression on like a racist, for example, or now today's buzzword is toxic masculinity. Here's what toxic masculinity is, by the way. It's when you act in a way that you think is masculine, but it's based on negativity, like insecurity. Mm-hmm. So guys that are hazing each other and frats or whatever, that's toxic masculinity. It's a way of 
it's a it's it's formed out of a negative way of being you know anything like that it, it eventually leads to a negative sort of destructive way of being but masculinity itself is very powerful and good masculinity we're protectors right yeah we're masculinity is about strength there's nothing wrong with strength on its own masculinity is about loving people and taking care of them protecting them you know and providing for them the people you your family and and you know these guys today they you're an idiot that's blue pill stuff you've heard blue pill stuff yeah. right oh, yeah. that's blue pill stuff no look i got i can tell you when you have children they're yours it's like you want something for yourself and you want something for them you want to provide for them when you have a wife i i don't know i've got a girl that i love i'm crazy about her if she was my wife i would want her to have everything that i have and more so of course you want to provide for these people it's it's like it says in the bible where he says wouldn't you want to give your son everything well, your father loves you that much more, you know, that's what yep. masculinity should be about. And think of it. What if coaches, Randall, what if coaches understood this projected image? What if coaches had their athletes saying, I don't care what it is. You better project champion 24 seven while you're on this team. You know, would that sort of change the way guys view themselves? I mean, or, or athletes sort of train. I mean, I wouldn't have gone through near the insecurity I did if I just said, okay, I'm going to follow my coach does. Or if coaches understood what happens when they treat athletes like they're nothing but just racehorses instead of people. Yep. No, that would be a I mean, when you're, when you're worthless as an athlete, you're treated like you're less than dog shit, don't, aren't you? Oh, 100%. You know? Worse than yeah. dog shit, absolutely. Yeah. You're less than dog shit when you're worthless as an athlete. And if you've got an injury, you're less than dog shit. Because you can't perform right now. Oh, yeah, you don't or you exist. Might yeah. So, you know, but think of it if coaches understood this sort of stuff. Think of it if teachers understood this sort of thing. Think of it if parents, this was just standard knowledge for parents, that they understood that children start putting up these crazy guards around their hearts, and they start projecting these insecurities to make up for trauma. I mean, Think if children, if, if parents really understood how, think of how powerful that really is. You know, whether you want to believe me that when I tell I've manifested stuff, I'll, I'll go ahead and say, I've manifested things. I drive a $140,000 car. That's my chariot. It's the first thing that I, that I manifested on purpose. I know it. I did it for myself. Really, I did it in reverse. I should have been saying I'm manifesting so much money that it's immaterial with the car costs, but I still did it, you know? And it, and it just, it goes on from there. But I realize now I manifested everything in my life. Yeah, so we went ahead and stopped there uh, for no other reason than time and uh, just a good stopping point. So what we're going to do is we are going to circle back. Uh, Josh has already confirmed. I wanted to finish with a part two. Um, and we're going to do all the listener questions then because we had a bunch. Yeah. Didn't you get to one? Just one in the very beginning because Josh yeah. was already talking about it. And it right. was about what the listener had asked. Mm. <clears throat> so I went ahead and just put it so he didn't talk over the question. 
Yeah. Okay. But uh, we've got several others, so we'll get to that in the part two. But <clears throat> this one, a whole lot of information. Josh got a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of insight to uh, how he's uh, adapted his life after his career in fighting and wrestling and all the other interesting uh, shit that he's done in his life. And uh, for everybody that knows him, I'm sure they're very happy for him because he sounds at peace. Well, good. Yeah, I'll be uh, interested in listening to it when we post it. Since yeah, you I wasn't... weren't on much. <laughs> no. No, I didn't. Nobody wanted to hear me coughing on the air. So um, I, I think I, I popped in and listened a couple times and then would have to run out of the room because I would need to cough. And then I think I said like one thing during the whole, but it's fine. Well, I mean, um, I only said like six things uh, right. in the whole episode, but it Very wasn't true. because I couldn't, but I was, you know, taking a lot of notes of what Josh was saying, mm-hmm. um, following his uh, story, because I'm as interested as anybody. Um, so I want everybody to know, but we've both been under the weather, mm-hmm. so neither of us have been feeling the greatest. Yep. But so it worked out to let Josh carry the load and... Um, Clearly, he's got a, a whole uh, plan for uh, what he wants to do with uh, his uh, message and help other uh, veterans and uh, people that are struggling. So yeah. I can't wait to see where it goes. But uh, yeah, so enjoy this one. And you can still have time to get some questions in for the part two since we didn't start them. If you want to uh, ask him a follow up once you've listened to this. Yeah. Uh, feel free to send that over to us at marriedafpod at gmail.com. Yeah, I was say, and if you didn't, if you already sent one in and didn't hear it, then we'll get to those first next time we talk to him. Oh, yeah. Amy Lavin's got a question that's, gonna, that's the good. first question. Mm-hmm. So she's coming up. And then uh, and so Shane Brazzletitz yeah. had a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got a couple shout-outs on the episode, too. So shout-out to Bearded Dad. Yeah, and I think y'all talked about him for a solid 30 uh in the top of it I, yeah. I came in and out of the room like six times you know we're still talking about Shane. i was like jesus yeah. <laughs> he's gonna be so happy about that <laughs> yeah i want to give a shout out to our uh network of shows on uh, civilized creatures entertainment network yes uh, drinks with larry unbelievably stupid podcast but mommy conversation x po boys is yep. po boys on there yep. now sweet yep and uh bearded dad so, eight bit closed fist. Yep. And if you haven't had a chance, go listen to the roast of Larry. Mm-hmm. We're on, gonna post. Uh, we need to post that as a one of ours too. Yeah, I was thinking we'll post that at the end of when Stephanie comes on. Just tag it on. No, because it's like an hour. I mean, it doesn't take anything from us to just tag it on. If they want to listen, they do. If they don't, they don't. However you want to do it, but. We should be having uh, Stephanie on sometime in the future. Uh, we promised her, and she's been hounding us. I think about we're it. talking to her this weekend, but yeah, whenever. Yeah, I mean, she was hilarious in the roast, so I look forward to talking with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's it. Any other business? No, let's go. This is long. <laughs> no, let's talk more. <laughs>
This is ridiculous. This is the longest fucking episode ever. No, I want to stand here and talk to you. <laughs> no. Okay, bye, guys. Bye. Let's recap what Josh Say go fuck about. yourself. Say go All fuck right, yourself. Everybody go fuck yourself. Okay, bye.